This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, Mon- uh, Good Monday morning to you. That's it right there. Good Monday morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. We're starting a new week. Yay! So excited. Anyway, it's just a Monday. And it's raining where we are broadcasting right here in uh, on the campus of Brigham Young University. A light drizzle. But boy, it's like it shocked everybody driving today. They did not. Like, what's this water flying all over my windshield? Uh, anyway, got a great show for you today. Today, uh, first hour, we're going to be talking politics. Who better to lead us on that than our Washington insider, Joe Cannon? He'll be joining us in just a few minutes. Want to talk to him about uh, everything, really. The debate, um, all things Clinton. She's got the Benghazi hearings coming up. We're going to find out if, you know, what really does it matter now that we know it's just a right-wing conspiracy? trying to slowly or quickly tear down Clinton's ratings. We'll get into that. Uh, a lot of stuff to ask Joe as our Washington insider, and we'll just pick his brain. Such a To me, it's one of my favorite segments that we do because it just lets me ask every question I have. Like, should these people really be going on Saturday Night Live? I'm not sure they should. Who? All candidates. So far, only Hillary, correct? Uh, right. Well, Don, the Donster, is he going on like next week? Oh, that's right. He's going to host. The Don's going to host. But this is just the beginning. We've got a year. But how, do, how else do you reach mm. a younger generation that doesn't watch the news? I don't know. How about have younger ideas? Like? Give free money to 20 no, something. No free money. Oh, no. There's, There's a, a lot of them willing the, to do that. That's like a no-brainer. Hey, but th- this was the funniest. This, to me, really, they couldn't have picked a better person to play Bernie Sanders on Saturday Night Live. Did you watch? You watched it. I did. Um, Larry David, the creator of Seinfeld, Seinfeld, and he put together. And we, we have to play the clips for you because I think probably if you're going to do some an interpretation or a version of or a parody on somebody. Bernie Sanders would be an easy guy to parody just because he's got a certain way of talking. But Larry David, I think, is Bernie's alter ego. Let's let's just listen to a few clips um, about uh, Larry David, Bernie Sanders debate intro. Senator Sanders, how are you? I'm good. I'm hungry, but I'm good. <laughs> Sounds now, just like it. If you don't mind. I'm going to dial it right up to a 10. Go right ahead. We're doomed. We need a revolution. Millions of people on the streets. And we got to do something. And we got to do it now. Yeah. Bernie, Bernie, pace yourself. Senator Sanders, some of your opponents believe regulating Wall Street is enough. What is your position on the big banks? Eh. <laughs> Not a fan of the banks. They trample on the middle class. 
They control Washington. And why did they chain all their pens to the desks? Who's trying to steal a pen from a bank? Makes no sense. That's why you gotta break up the banks into little pieces and then flush the pieces down the toilet so you can never put the banks back together. Then you just make the bankers pay for college for everyone. And America's fixed. Hey! I love it. Isn't that great? Larry, I mean, Larry David is the perfect Bernie Sanders. Larry, yeah, he, may, he may have now a little night job. He's old, balding, wears glasses. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. He even said, "I'm going to dial it up a bit." Yeah. And here he goes. <laughs> but throughout the whole uh, skit, it was I think it was the open, the dry open for the show. Yeah. They uh, they went back and the email, uh, court, you know, back and forth with him and Hillary, and they just visited several things. Ja- uh, was it uh, Webb? What's his first name? I forget now. Uh, Jim Webb. Seeing as he's not going to be part of this for much longer, <laughs> um, just seeing his money from last week. He he, uh, the the guy playing him would step out and say, "He go, I need to be heard." And then they ask him a question about something embarrassing that he supported legislatively, and he's like, "Uh, pass." I'm going to pass. And on that was that. just. Con- <laughs> I mean, that, that's all it was. And at the end, he's like, "I." He goes, "I won this." Uh, President Webb out. He's like, "I'm convinced <laughs> I'm going to win." So I just it was interesting the yeah. the way they do the the character the characters yeah. that they grabbed out of these real people and you know focus on these little idiosyncrasies they have. So it's, it's funny. the and that was the, that's a fun debate to do that too because they've got a lot of fun players. Yes, the Republicans would be a little harder. It seems like. I mean, they've got a lot of fun characters, too, don't get me wrong. But you'd have to have, like, 11 actors. Yes, there's so many of them. Or 14 actors. Right. Yeah. Bernie Sanders, man. Um, By the way, apparently lost the debate, but is the only – but grew his audience and grew a lot of followers and made a lot of money. He's doing pretty well. Yeah. Everyone, you know, does he have a shot? Hmm. I don't know. Senator Dick Durbin just on MSNBC said – He's he's um, he doesn't know how he'd do as president, but he's he's one of the most able to go across lines in Congress and Senate. He'd be the, he'd be the guy that could get some negotiating going on. A vice president. Yeah. Isn't that kind of what they would do? He won't be a vice president. You don't think so? He's at, either got to be the president. At the end of the Saturday Night Live skit, he goes, yeah. hi, Bernie Sanders. Future vice president of the U.S., you know. <laughs> well, maybe she'll have to do that to get him to get the whole nomination. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird – we got we'll ask, we'll ask uh, Joe Cannon. I think, I think we're in a weird place because the mainstream America seems to like what Bernie's saying and what uh, Ben Carson's saying. Yes. Ben Carson's getting a lot of money from the peeps. He's only what a couple points behind yeah. Trump at this point. He's, yeah. Trump has lost his insurmountable lead, as they were calling it. Yeah, Trump's seemingly human. So weird. Or are people tiring of his message? I'm sure. I'm sure. But isn't that crazy? These leaders are these kind of extreme position people that can somehow draw in the average. But voter. didn't we see this last time where we had was it Rick Perry who was leading for a while? Yeah. And then all of a sudden the Pizza Hut guy or the Godfather's Pizza guy. Yeah. But Rick Perry never had. So if you add Ben Carson's numbers, train. Trump's numbers, yeah, that's, that's a lot of people that want something different. Everybody on earth thinks Trump, there's no way he's going to win. If Trump wins, can you imagine? Like nobody thinks – it's funny to watch the news people because they're all like – all the pundits, they, yeah, 
So, I mean, something's going to happen. Right. Nothing's happening. They're hoping. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they like it. Maybe they want it this way. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, let's get to the headlines. Kathy's out today. So who better to uh, enlighten us with the headlines than Terry South? Clearly frustrated by a series of gas, Benghazi Committee Chairman Trey Gowdy told fellow Republicans to shut up if they weren't directly briefed on the committee's activities. I have told my own Republican colleagues and, and friends, shut up talking about things that you don't know anything about. That was on uh, CBS. He was told them to shut up. The Benghazi Committee heading into a big week for its work with a long-anticipated hearing featuring former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on Thursday. Republicans on the investigative committee have been stymied by a series of public statements alleging that the committee's purpose is political to cut down the polling numbers of Clinton and her presidential campaign. These are three people who don't have any idea what they're talking about. Gowdy told uh, CBS Face the Nation Sunday, four dead Americans is the reason enough for an investigation. Now, Gowdy says it's not going to be political, it's simply investigative. He's going to give all 12 members of the committee Hmm. 10 minutes each. Oh, wow. Per round. They're planning on four rounds of questioning. Wow. Eight hours that we will have Hillary Clinton on some cable news network just asking. I I guess Hillary's taken a lot of the week off to prepare for this. I guess. Doing some cardio. She has eight hours to sit in a chair and (laughs) be yelled at. Uh, Trump, Donald Trump says that he could have prevented 9-11. Oh, really? That's what he says. Why didn't he? He wasn't. He didn't have any legislative power at the time. Oh, it was legislation. But he's saying now, he goes, Trump took his argument with Jeb Bush over his brother's national security record to new heights on Sunday, arguing that he could have prevented 9-11 with his immigration policies. Jeb said, we were safe with my brother. We were safe. Well, the World Trade Center just fell down. Now, am I trying to blame him? I'm not blaming anybody. But the World Trade Center came down. So when he said we were safe, that's not safe. We lost 3,000 people. I am extremely, extremely tough on illegal immigration. I believe that if I were running things, I doubt that those people would have been in the country. With that being said, I'm not blaming George Bush, but I don't want Jeb Bush to say, my brother kept us safe. So Hmm. it sounds like he's blaming him. Yeah. But he's not. Well, I guess it depends on what blame means. Right. But they, they could have just – they didn't they didn't have to be illegal immigrants. They could have just been here on a travel visa. Right. And some of them were here studying. Studying. Right. Were, so this isn't just immigration. This is – Now, over the weekend, Donald Trump uh, made a, a similar comment that you just heard right there yeah. about George W. Bush and 9-11. He's, he's Jeb trying to beat on, Jeb up. Jeb jumped on Twitter to defend his brother and there then the two Twitter accounts went back and forth and people were – interested to see the discussion there um so i don't know it's it's interesting i saw on um cnn they asked jeb you know if 9-11 wasn't your brother's fault which we're not saying it right, is right right we, we, there was terrorists they took their actions they did their thing why can we look at hillary and say that the terrorists who did what they did and then blame hillary for and yeah. you know it's how do you blame benghazi on hillary if you don't blame 9-11 on and then he goes, well, with Hillary, there was security problems. There was a problem within the infrastructure that she was in charge of. And they go, yeah. well, then what happened with your brother? There was security problems, infrastructure he's in charge of. <sighs> it just back and forth the that way. Web. Jeb didn't really have a question for that. After weeks of insisting he would not run for speaker, Wisconsin Republican uh, Paul Ryan, according to those close to him, mm-hmm. never any names, just people yeah. close, is now open to leading the fractured Republican conference and seriously considering launching a bid for speaker of the House with one exception – 
His confidants tell sources that he will not negotiate with the House Freedom Caucus and their demands for changes to House rules. So the Freedom Caucus has probably already said that they will give him what he needs because he wouldn't be announcing that if right. he didn't have. He goes, I'm not, I'm not going to fight with you guys over yeah. rules and, and different things oh, you want. Oh, oh. I'll, I'll step in if you want me, but I'm not going to fight with you. That's smart. And also uh, two of Britain's largest newspapers report Sunday that Parliament's massive clock known as Big Ben. Big Ben. And the tower that supports it need as much as $61 million in repairs. The Sunday Times citing a government source says the clock is so dilapidated it may grind to a halt. The Daily Mail on Sunday suggested the clock's hands could fall off without any urgent action. Ooh, that would be a bad day. So the, there's the possibility of shutting it down and not hearing Big Ben chime away. Oh, that's it sad. To fix it. Well, and I guess I assume the people in England are they're okay with all this. They want, they want to save Big Ben. They've got to save Big Ben. Right. It's like the Statue of Liberty, like dropping her torch. She can't have it. The woman's got to hold her torch. Come on. Wow. Big Ben. Scary. We may lose the great, iconic Big Ben. Hey, folks, we've got a great guest coming up. Joe Cannon's going to be joining us, our Washington insider. He's going to be uh, helping us walk through all things Washington. What's really going on? What really matters? You know, we've got all these... Things Benghazi's coming up, the Benghazi hearings. Eight hours of listening to Hillary Clinton talk about what went wrong. And does she really need to give up the whole week to prep for it? I mean, she already answered everything she said. So let's just go to those answers again. <sighs> Plus, is it a is it a witch hunt? Not that Hillary's a witch, but is it a witch hunt? That's what everyone claims. We'll find out, folks. Stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Joe Cannon. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us right now is Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Joe was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, and also served um, in Reagan's administration in the U.S. uh, EPA agency from 83 to 85. He was also the editor of the Deseret News, um, which is a a large um, paper in the Intermountain West area. And so we're honored to have you, Joe, our Washington insider. Hopefully you're going to make sense of some of these some of these crazy things going on in D.C. Yeah, although maybe you can't make sense of them. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the point. Huh? <laughs> maybe, that's a, there, yeah. maybe there's no sense to be made. <laughs> Talk about uh, the debate, first of all. Just what did you think? Um, five people on stage, two seemed to actually be in the game. Yeah. The, there were four people on stage and Jim Webb. Let's just, let's say that uh, who was you know when you're little you have you have these little picture books that have like three red socks and one yeah one blue yeah, or whatever what, what which one doesn't fit well, I would just say that I, I think the the way I would sum it up and lots of, it's not particularly novel but uh, uh, a Democratic insider said you know Hillary won but I liked Bernie the best oh yeah and I think that is sort of the headline and the bumper sticker yeah. you know he she won to who. How 
no one ever says, but you know, CNN, lots of people say, right. well, she won. But then, then Bernie comes up in the right. polls. So isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it's uh, but he Bernie co- got he attention. connected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he got more connected. I mean, who? Who knew, except no. real mm-hmm. insiders, who the heck Bernie Sanders was yeah. five months ago, six months ago, man. You know, but now, and that's yeah. really his goal. He feels like the more he can be out there and be heard, people will like the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but let's talk about the message. I mean, to me, it was pretty dumbfounding to see four of the five people up there competing for who could be the most like Bernie Sanders. Isn't that you crazy? Know, once in a while, Hillary said, "Okay, I'm not that." You mm-hmm. know, I mean, she's. She's not that to start with, but right. but she, but still, you know, it was, it was all about moving to the left in a in a, a pretty astonishing way. I mean, there were if you're a Republican strategist, there were um, uh, thirty second spot after thirty right. second spot after thirty second spot. I can use that, I can use <laughs> that in the general. On, on that, it's like wow. Well, and, and uh, how about that question to Hillary? So, Hillary, are you a progressive or are you a moderate? Only Hillary, possibly. Maybe her husband. Her husband could have done it and pulled it off. Yeah, she didn't quite pull it off. It was like, yeah, well, was no, right? I'm both. I, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of progressive, but uh-huh. I want to get stuff done. I want to get know. stuff done. It's like, uh, well, okay. Well, and uh, the mere fact that uh, we're talking, we were talking socialism. I mean, that became part of the debate discussion yeah, yeah, with yeah. socialism. Well, it's not really socialism. Well, it's democratic socialism. We're like those European democratic yeah. socialist parties. In fact, we should just be a lot more like Denmark and Norway. What the heck? I mean, exactly. Sweden. Yeah, we should, we should just – yeah, that's where we should be going. And, and nobody's saying no. America's way different. Right. America's different. And, and for a lot of good reasons, it's different. Sweden didn't win World War II. It's true. Uh, and I don't think Denmark did either. <laughs> and even last time I checked, England didn't. Right. So, you know, we're not all speaking German today, not because of Denmark. <laughs> See, but that's the thing, isn't it? Because – but there's something populist that everybody loves a lot of Bernie's ideas and uh, Ben Carson's ideas. They, it's telling us something. Yeah. I Oh, I, I definitely think it's telling something. While we're on winning World War II, I just want to say that it was – in 1781, on this day, that Cornwallis ah. surrendered to George Washington. So we did win that war, and you winning that, that war had, had played – was one of the most consequential things in the history of the world. Totally. Um, yeah. No, there, there's no question that people are fed up with Washington. There is no question about that. You, you, it's the only thing that explains the popularity of a Carson and, and a Trump because uh, – well, I don't – I think I've been pretty clear. I'm no yeah. fan of the buffoon, the right. Donald buffoon. Who, but like, like Ben. Like, but, but I like Ben Carson. He's a, a wonderfully decent guy. But I cannot conceive of him as actually president. I still put him in the category of Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. and Donald Trump. Yeah. He's he's a candidate that says I'm. One thing that's definitively, unmistakably clear: I'm not them. Yeah, I am not whatever that mess is in Washington. I'm not that. And you know what? A lot of people are saying. Hey, I might like that. But is it is it possible now that we could actually and it seems like Barack Obama because he was he was a new politician. He wasn't deeply entrenched in Washington's ways per se. He was a, a community organizer, he was an educator. Is it possible that we don't need to have a president that knows everything, but just can come in, can create a really good staff, and can run it? No, that is all you have ever needed. 
Okay. No president ever. What did Dwight Eisenhower I mean, know? Dwight really, Eisenhower won World War II. Right. That was a, a really, general, really big so deal. He knew one part but of he it. had a terrific staff. He, yeah. The government, more and more historians are looking back at that eight years and saying, you know, that, that was a pretty good mm-hmm. time. And, and, and there's a growing respect for how smart Eisenhower really was and how he managed things. Ronald Reagan, who many people during the time, including myself, thought – well, he's not so smart, but he's got some smart people around him. It turned out he is actually pretty smart yeah. in the same way Eisenhower was pretty smart. But no president knows everything. So, yeah, that's a so – that's, that's safe. Then then why couldn't a Bernie just do it or uh, – I mean there's philosophy that and, and mm-hmm, political mm-hmm, views. Mm-hmm. But why couldn't a Ben Carson just walk in and it's a Jimmy Carter or it's a Barack Obama? It's a – it's he just might, a different but, view. Yeah, but just mentioning those two particular presidents, there, there, are, there are a lot of people who think they weren't particularly successful presidencies. Now, I, I happen to think that Barack Obama has been the mo- one of the most successful right. presidents in history doing what he set out to do. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not one of the no, people he who got thinks he's not done. a smart guy. Right. I, I don't happen to like some of the stuff he's done, but, but no question that he's been a supremely effective president in the things that he wanted to do. So, yeah, no. Uh, it, could it be that Ben Carson could do that? Maybe. The, the reason that you kind of like some people, though, is even, even just take a Marco Rubio. Um, okay, he's young. But he was Speaker of the House in his in Florida. Yeah. He's been a pretty effective senator. And you're thinking he knows the contours. So right. when he gives a talk on energy policy, he gave it just last week, he gave a, a really good talk on energy policy. It was successful. Hmm. Well, is he going to be the Secretary of Energy? No, but he's smart enough to figure stuff out. And some of the things you hear actually from both Bernie Sanders and Ben Carson and Donald Trump show just not any not. walking around knowledge of how how you run uh, how you run a government look the government's yeah. not a business and and thank goodness right. we don't want the efficiency of business the, the founders were pretty smart people and so they didn't design a government for a Donald Trump <laughs> thank heavens yeah and ratings oriented you know yeah and just oh i i could do everything i'm you know this megalomaniacal uh, uh, narcissism, you know. Well, because he only just has to say he can do anything. He has to eventually show us. Yeah. He so could far, do so far, his. I mean, so far, his strategy on nine eleven was immigration. My immigration policy could have. Uh, yeah, he took thwarted. jab on. Yeah. What is that? I mean, and why? Why would he take? I mean, I get it. He's got to beat Jeb, but he's already beating Jeb. So what is? He still has to win Jeb's people. That's one of the things I did notice in the Democratic debate is that Bernie threw himself on the sword for Hillary yeah. to to probably stay in good favor, but to also, if he ever wanted to win, he had to have her people. Yeah. Why is why is Trump not getting that he has to do the same with Jeb? Well, we might be dignifying Trump with a strategic okay. mind. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, that you might know, be a mistake. When, when our boys were little, we got a beagle. Beagle had a two-second attention span. <laughs> it, it's it's possible that we're putting a lot of. Yeah. He says kind of what comes to his mind. Now it's it's he's not stupid. I mean, he he clearly still needs. If, if you're looking out there now, if we, we could talking about money, we'll, right. we'll look at the relation of money to where you are in life. 
Jeb Bush has a lot of money and a lot of organized people on the ground. Trump doesn't mm-hmm. yet have the organization on the ground. So he, he's got to still make inroads okay. against him at yeah. the tactical level. So he's, he may be trying to, he's taking on. that on. Yeah. What did you think about Bernie Sanders <clears throat> giving the pass to Hillary on the emails? Well, I mean, that was probably the highlight of the entire debate. That was the best line of the debate. Yeah. So um, one of the great things about the Democrats are they are very disciplined. It's very rare to have a Democrat attack another Democrat uh, in any forum. Mm-hmm. Um, Republicans, their default position is a circular firing squad. That's their <laughs> that's their that's their default. Yeah. You know, so, so, so uh, everyone's going to go down eventually. Yeah. Well, they just. You know, they just can't help themselves. So so I think Bernie did what any disciplined Democrat was going to do. He's not going to give ammo to the other side. And, in fact, he's going to try to take ammo away from the other side. And that was very helpful within oh. their constituency. I don't happen to think it's true. I don't, right. I don't actually th- – I think actually people are kind of interested mm-hmm. in those emails. And you keep getting this. It's not so much drip, drip, drip anymore. There's there's a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think the issue is going away, but in terms of solidifying her position within the set of people who are going to make her the Democrat nominee, that was a brilliant stroke, she, a brilliant piece of luck for her. That they're really in that debate. There's no doubt that Hillary and Bernie are the only ones that oh, right, are right, in the game. Yeah. So, so tell us what the other three guys are really there for. Really? Okay. Um, <clears throat> because – when Orrin Hatch ran for president in nineteen or in in two thousand, yeah, someone said, "Why are you running?" Yeah, and he said, "Well, you know what? There's a chance that George W. Bush might stumble, and I can be there." Okay, and I think that's I'm going to say O'Malley has the hat strategy. Uh, he's a reputable guy. He's a pretty attractive guy, mm-hmm. uh, and you know what? If Hillary stumbles, he's a better alternative right. to most Democrats than Bernie Sanders. Why Legan Chafee is there? I don't know. Legan Chafee <laughs> has been in the in the clouds. Um, he's a. I guess he's a perfectly nice person yeah. who is wonderful guy. Cl- clueless. So if anybody looks and acts clueless, it's Lincoln Chafee. Well, and he made that admission that he didn't even know what he was voting for in that first vote. Uh, yeah, it's like now why Jim Webb was there. Jim Webb was would have been a perfectly suitable Democrat candidate in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is on every way you could be out of touch with the other four people. On the, he is out of touch. You know, <laughs> I happen to like him. I, I you think know he's him. a very, very interesting, courageous. He's written some really good books. He he uh, wrote a book called uh, How the Scot. Can't remember what the main, but the subtitle is How the Scots Irish uh, cre- Created America, and it's a it was a very good nonfiction book. Uh, so an interesting but, guy. Yeah, but then his whole complaint is, I'm not getting any time here. I need more time. The minute you're commenting on how much time you're getting in the debate, yeah. Yeah. and well, you're taking your time to comment on time, yeah, he, you're missing the boat. He shouldn't have been standing up there. <laughs> I mean, he's he's actually Republican. I mean, that's the funny thing. I mean, I don't know quite. Yeah. Uh, War hero, Republican. Yeah. <sighs> okay, let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's come back. I want to find out what you think about Biden getting in the race. Is it really a smart deal still? I mean, especially after watching the uh, the debate. Then I want to get into um, a little bit about what's going on with uh, maybe with Jeb. Jeb seems to like not be able to find himself. 
We'll get there. Uh, tons of more. Uh, tons of, and, and Benghazi. Holy cow. The Benghazi hearings are coming up this week, too. We'll get to that. More with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio today, Joe Cannon, who's our Washington insider. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Uh, if you go check out their website, fuelfreedom.org, uh, Joe's mission is to help lower the costs, uh, the fuel costs for Americans, uh, really trying to make it cheaper for us to drive our big SUVs. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I don't think Joe We don't look at it quite that way, but yeah, yeah but I know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, good to have you here. Joe is, um, he's in the know. He hates it when we say that, but Joe knows a lot of guys, a lot of gals and a lot of people back in DC. And, uh, he's here today to just help us walk through all things political. One of the things I wanted to get to is Joe Biden. He's, you know, the sitting vice president should have a huge advantage. He's got to decide if he's going to get in this race. Well, as we were talking about a little earlier, to, to not make a decision is to make a decision. And yeah. that, that time is approaching. I think the, the the interesting dynamic of that debate was a, a lot of people thought Hillary not just didn't just win the debate, but she basically boxed out Biden. Uh-huh. And so Biden's people immediately started coming back, you know, no, we're still thinking about it. And and we quote, we're not going to be bullied by Hillary into into when we make a decision or right. if. And, but even as. Right after the debate and going through at least Friday, the last reference I saw to it, Biden himself was on the phone talking to supporters in, in a lot of the key primary states saying, hey, uh, I need you. I need you when I run, not if. Now, oh, wow. That 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 was a reporter, a reporter's take on talking yeah. to a lot of uh, people, including Biden. So we, we don't know that for sure. But um, I think we're going to know pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty soon, meaning maybe this week. Because what, what do you sense would change? What would change if he gets in? Well, unlike Lincoln Chafee and Martin O'Malley and mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, uh, he is viewed by the Demo- Democrats as a as a mainstream kind of centrist guy yeah. in the party. Now he's still a Democrat, but but. Um, he he would be a credible alternative to Hillary. So if you're if you're a Democrat and you're kind of worried, unlike Bernie Sanders, you might be worried about what's in those emails and what she may have done or what her staff may have done. Right. And all of that is a little bit of a worry. And you're thinking, well, we got a guy who's, he he might win. He he's he's like he's a likable guy. He's not polarizing. Um, so I think his advantage is that he's a the, he's the credible, genuine, credible. Does alternative. it? Do you sense that it would bloody the water on the Democratic side more because now you would have Hillary would have to go against the Obama administration in well, her argument. And, and what you have the internal dynamic there is many, many, many of the people inside the Obama team mm-hmm. really don't like Hillary. That's not it's not a pretend thing. They really don't like her. And a lot of them do like yeah. Biden. They they just resonate with him more. So he'll start out with a team of people who already don't like Hillary and by the way, who Hillary is aware of don't like her. So so however they kind of paper it yeah, over. How do you and nuance polite, that? 
underneath there's there, it'll be a pretty gritty fight. <laughs> Plus, you've I mean, uh, Hillary's scandal is Obama's scandal. Well, yes and no. I mean, he's been doing a pretty good job of distancing himself from that. I mean, you've got his Department of Justice, the FBI right. are the ones doing the investigation. That's they true. don't seem to be pulling back much. You know, I read one incident where she was just really in a one-on-one with him. Well, not quite one-on-one, yeah. but but basically screaming at him to call the dogs off. And, you know, they're, they're, they're whatever's not happening off. is still happening. Yeah. So, oh, uh, man. So I, I – uh, I mean, he professes to 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 support Hillary, and he will support her. He, the President Obama, will support her. Yeah. But he likes Biden, and a ton of people on his team like Biden. Although they're they're getting edgy too. They're just saying, "Hey, come on! Yeah. You know, we we can only be in this uh, suspended animation for so long." Do you think that? So let's say he gets in. Do, does anybody at this stage get in saying to someone like Elizabeth Warren, "I want you to be my running mate"? Could be. I mean, I I I don't know that. You don't know but, if that's uh, real. But would anyone do? I mean, I guess you could. You you definitely could. Or what? You know, there are whole variations around that. She could come out and immediately support him, whether they had a an exp- explicit or tacit mm-hmm. understanding about what she might do in the next administration. But she's very studiously not endorsed Hillary yet. Right. And so you know a Biden. Warren team, whether again, whether, whether stated as right. president VP or not, could be very potent. For, for one thing, that may, may not wipe out the Sanders vote, but it it cuts way into it. Yeah, and it gets a lot of those ground troops on the ground moving. And who knows? Maybe Sanders might just say, "You know what? I, I'm I'm feeling okay about that. I don't. Yeah, I don't honestly see that happening." Well, Sanders says a lot way of nice things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is into it, isn't it? So, um. Okay, let's let's flip to the Republican side a little bit. What is the deal with Jeb Bush? I mean, why is he not getting traction? He's he's got the money, he has the organization, he has the name. Are people just done with Bushes? Uh, I don't know if I put it quite that way, but I'd say there is a lot of Bush fatigue. There are plenty of people who thought Jeb would be the better. Um, presidential candidate to W at, yeah. at that time. Didn't work out that way. And I think, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Jeb Bush. And yeah. People who know him, they like him. They think he'd be good. A president, you know, but maybe if his name were Brown. Yeah. Jeb you know, Brown. Bush. <laughs> he changes his uh, name. Governor, you know, I guess I should say Governor Brown. There is a Governor Brown. There but, is. Uh, um, but I I think I've been in so many crowds of people in Washington and other places, not crowds, but, you know, gatherings where people just go, really, really? And and I think that's what's happening. I mean, he's got teams on the ground in all these states. He's got the money. Mm -hmm. He's got the message. He's just not getting, you know, traction. Is Rubio – so it really is – it's kind of either Bush or Rubio. Well, I would, I would, I would add Cruz in there. Yeah, or Cruz, Cruz. Yeah, so I would say, uh, and strikingly, those are the people who have the most money mm-hmm. on hand and the most money raised. Yeah. Um, uh, although Carson's doing pretty well in that, but we're as implicit in our little yeah. discussion here is, is that the non-candidates eventually will fade out. No, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. Maybe America's come to such a place that uh, that we 
like people like Donald Trump. I don't know. I, th- I think he's hit the speed of light for his yeah. uh, in terms of his popularity. But but of the political candidates, yeah, you've got uh, Rubio, Bush, and Cruz, Cruz. and um, and and Rubio just got a little uh, head nod from Sheldon Adelson saying, yeah. "Hey, I'll throw my money behind you." Well, you accuse me of being an insider. I, I don't know, but of, of the people I do know who yeah. are sort of political insider types, I feel kind of a m- momentum toward Rubio. Do you a, sense a lot that? of awful yeah. smart people are saying, "Okay, assuming it's not Trump, it's not Carson, it's not Fiorina, we're, we're down to real people." Is it Cruz? Is it Bush? Is it Rubio? Huh. I thought Kasich might make it, but he's he's kind of taken himself out of that. Yeah. But, but uh, there, there's a lot of coalescence of mm-hmm. money people and political people who are saying, "Yeah, Rubio may be that guy." What do you What do you sense about the whole um, Speaker of the House kind of fiasco? Wow, I just don't know any more than I did last week. Isn't it's, that amazing? Uh, uh, someone will emerge. Paul I Ryan mean, apparently is saying he's more willing to actually say he'll run now, but he will not be moved. Yeah, and I. There's just going to be a deal in there someplace. Yeah. You know, this Rostam, Rostam, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, is looking like he's gathering a little momentum. Webster is gathering no momentum. Yeah. I mean, and I think they put him out because he wasn't really truly part of that so-called Freedom Caucus. But he's, he's yeah, not. Yeah, either that was poison for him or people are just saying, no, he's not the guy. So I I don't know. But it's, uh, I mean, if it's Boehner or Ryan with no deals with the Freedom Caucus, maybe the Freedom Caucus would still rather have Ryan. I think they would rather have Ryan than Boehner, but I don't think they like being dictated to that yeah, way. And yeah. I don't know why Ryan is saying that. I guess I don't understand. You do compromise. Yeah. Uh, now, maybe they don't, but Ryan is a guy who does understand the process of compromise. Yeah. He's probably he's – probably, <laughs> Yeah, just positioning. It could be. It could be. He's and maybe just, that's yeah. how he has to say it publicly. So that he doesn't seem any more beholden. Oh, you know, yeah. You know. Then he actually will be. Yeah. <laughs> that's some tough stuff. Listen to this, uh, by the way. This is um, – we just found this. Uh, clip number five, Jeb on Trump. This is what Jeb thinks about Trump being president. I have grave doubts, to be honest with you, and it's only because of the things he says. It looks as though he's not taking the possibility of being president of the United States really seriously. For him, it looks as though he's an actor playing a role of a candidate for president, not boning up on the issues, not having a broad sense of the responsibilities of what it is to be a president. Mm. Well, you know, I agree. I agree. I I agree with with him on that. If you look at Trump's spending, what he's done is he said, I'm a celebrity. That's going to take me an awful long way. And he's not spending hardly any money. It's amazing. You know, he doesn't uh, have to buy media. He just yeah. accepts an interview. Yeah, but he also doesn't feel like he needs to buy staff and he doesn't need to do it's a true. lot of he's, things. He just that, his that, own uh, people. He's uh, just going ahead and he's going, I wonder how far this will take me. I doubt that he's going to spend serious money on yeah. his own for this. So maybe maybe he's just taking a, fly, a flyer. Okay. Um, hey, I'm popular. I got big name ID. Um uh, I've got a message. It happened on a message that is mm. pretty catalytic, you know, basically make America great again. That's an easy thing to say. And, you know, um, what could could he be a vice president? No, 
No. Who would who would want him well, to be their vice president? Well, I guess they'd want his constituency. That stupid president. You know what that stupid president did today? <laughs> Gosh, if I were the president, th- things would be so much better. That's so you know, that's, true. Uh, oh, can you imagine your vice president turning on you in every press conference? Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Hey, uh, what do you think about uh, Benghazi coming up and the hearings this week? I mean, that's that's turned into another fiasco, too, with all of the re- – I mean, two Republicans have actually come out and said, yeah, it's a – yeah. Which well, I mentioned the circular firing squad there that we Republicans go. engage in, and that's that's kind of exhibit A of that. Um, you know, those comments are very good for Hillary. They are also thirty second spots. Yeah. You know, she she's going to do she's going to make a lot of hat of that. But undergirding all this is Trey Gowdy's a pretty smart guy, and he's he's mad. I mean, you heard his, yeah, yeah. his comment. He just told everybody to shut, shut up, up on his side. <laughs> Uh, they don't know. You don't know what's going on. Right. We know what's going on. The, this is something that was a, a national tragedy, a, nas- a national disaster, uh, might have been preventable. Um, so there are lots of questions about Benghazi that are pretty interesting mm. and important Yeah. W- if Hillary had nothing to do with it. And I think Gowdy makes that case. And we'll see. I mean, you know, already there's kind of what's coming out even about Huma Abedin yeah. last week. I mean, they're keeping that pretty close, but there's a lot of nervous tension around that on the Democrat Is side. There? And um, Yeah, because they, they, nobody and, talked much about that. There's yeah, not as, was that well, closed doors? It was closed door, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, you know, but still, there's information a leak in sure. Washington, you know, if they're— um, because Hillary's taking it serious this week. I mean, she's hunkering oh, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, and she should. You know, you know, they, 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 they've got serious investigators. They've got a serious uh, chain of events yeah. that they're looking at. And of course, it was a tragedy. How oh, you, yeah. How, you, you know, they, no one really was deployed to. Not was not only was no one deployed. They were, you know, told not to. Yeah, so they, the, yeah, they were held the, back. The, the, the soldiers who gave their lives for them. They were on kind of on their own, and, and they were uh, expecting, yeah, some backup, some support. Oh, yeah. That's a tragedy. So there's a, a whole tragedy around there that you know it's it's a, a well who, coincidence or not, I don't know, but I I I think there's more to this investigation yeah. than just a witch hunt, though. How can you resist the temptation right. if you're a Republican right. to go after the leading president, right. rep- Republican, or she was presidential the, she candidate was on the, the other side? Yeah, she was the secretary. All right, all right. right? Um, Okay, we've got to take a break, but we'll come back. I want you to stay with us one more break. Sure. We'll, we'll only have a couple minutes, but I want to talk about Israel because you right. nailed it mm-hmm. last time. And you're talking about the stabbings, just these kind of random lone wolf stabbings all over Israel. We'll come back. More with uh, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us, Joe Cannon, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. And he is our Washington insider, is here to just enlighten us, give us the back, the background on a lot of the, uh, the news stories that you hear in the political press. But, Joe, last week I asked you, you know, what story are we missing? And you brought up in Israel there's a lot of – there's not like bombings, like, you know, terrorist bombings, but there's kind of a – a terrorist stabbing thing going on. Like the Palestinians are rebelling one stabbing at a time. 
Yeah, rebelling. I don't know if I use that word, but yeah, the, the the Palestinians are attacking, generally by knife, uh, Israelis, oh. and the Israelis are responding and and, um, and destroying Palestinian yeah. homes and, and establishments. And they're talking about building another extension of their wall, uh, which has generally been you know fairly protective of them. But I guess what what just is so disappointing to me is is that lots of a lot of people are treating like there's some moral equivalence here. So it's Palestinians stabbing Israelis, not the other way around, right. you know. And uh, and so now then Israel gets criticized for trying to protect its citizens against these stabbings. And, and there's some effort, I don't know, on the part of the media or whoever to make this some sort of morally equivalent thing. And I would just just say. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said at best, not in this context, but in the context of the missiles from Hamas coming in from in Gaza, he said, if the Palestinians laid down their weapons tomorrow, there would be peace. If Israel laid down its weapons tomorrow, they would be annihilated. Mm. And that's just how it is. Yeah. The simple fact of the matter is that there are video clips you can you can see them about how to kill a Jew uh, on for to, to Palestinian kids. Yeah. How, how do you go about killing Jews? And you know it's it's just all I don't know. It's you've got the problem in the Middle East itself, but you've got an overall wave yeah. of anti-Semitism around the world. This which is, is very and that's disturbing. something you talk about a lot. Is yeah, yeah. there's that pushback. We have about a minute left. What any other stories we need to be paying attention to? But, uh, we, well, we're just I mean, not. we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but this whole refugee crisis in Europe is is a, a fundamental change in what's happened really since World War II. It's a very profound change, and it's it's going to be really interesting yeah. already. I, Hungary built a wall. They said, okay, you're not coming through Hungary anymore. Not this anymore. Uh, just last week, a very right-wing uh, government in Switzerland – was now Switzerland is yeah. Switzerland. They're right. supposedly neutral. But, they love everyone, <laughs> but they they just elected a very right wing government that was based on keeping the, people out. keeping people out, and and you could see more and more of those right wing parties yeah. coming to the fore. When I say right wing, I'm not talking about right wing like, like US in the United right States wing. right wing. I'm, we're talking about people who. Do they make me nervous? And they yeah. should be making a lot of people nervous. Yeah. Like that, old Germany, right? That is how Hitler. I, I yeah. watched over the weekend a two-hour movie, but it was really a long documentary made in the forties, showing the rise of Hitler. Actually, oh. the movie was shown at the Nuremberg trials. And you know, even in the early late twenties, early thirties, there was some shocking scenery. Oh man! Anyway, so the the immigration thing is going to be no, it's big, huge. Yeah. And we've actually we've had an expert on talking about that, and some they've got to go somewhere. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, we've already, I think, said eighty thousand or something. We would take yeah, next is, year, and yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll go there next okay, next okay. week. Joe, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. Again, go check out uh, Joe's website, fuelfreedom.org. dot org. It's trying to lower your fuel costs, folks, here in the United States. It's really a great, it's a great effort, a great mission. We'll take a break. Uh, come back, more headlines, and then uh, more news after the news. A whole new hour right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, the insight you need to grow a healthier, happier life. We all need it, right? It's one thing to read the headlines. It's a whole other thing to to know what to do with it, let alone how to implement it into your life. Welcome to the program. Got a great show for you today. Uh, envy. Do you ever feel envious of others? I mean, I know. Every time I walk in, Ben looks at me like, how come Matt has everything? Don't you, Ben? He acts like he doesn't, but he's like... He's like, there's the epitome of success. Oh, if I could just be like Matt. Isn't that true, Ben? Yeah, it is. Talk more about it. That didn't sound convincing yeah, at it's all. Yeah, like it's almost like he's just... Just sort of playing along. Right. Mm. Huh. It's almost like he doesn't even feel it. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Um, not a, not a good look. Not a good look. Dr. Frank Ninavaji will be with us in just a few moments. Um, he is uh, he is from Yale, for heaven's sakes. Teaches psychiatry. Man, smart people. Mm. He's going to walk us through envy theory. And they answer our emails. I know. It's the weirdest thing. Mm. He's attending physician at the Yale New Haven Hospital, board certified in psychiatry and neurology. And he's going to be talking to us about envy theory. Ooh, envy theory. Ben, you need to listen to it because, uh, you know, you need to learn. We always say don't envy someone. You shouldn't envy me. But oh. this, I think this is actually going to show that there are some benefits to 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 noticing others and wanting in what like, they in want a, in, in a, a motivation? healthy way. Yeah. Okay. So I'm allowed to keep envying you for mm-hmm. a time. Yeah. Okay. It just shouldn't turn it. I think the difference is, is that envy, or are you respecting them for what they? I think. I think that's. I would call it respecting. Okay. I would, but his is turns more into like obsession, right? You know, like when I walk out to my car and he's just sitting there. Yeah, he's kind of rubbing his face it's on like, the windshield is, a little uh, bit. Is this your car? And I'm like, yeah. Like, this is such a nice car. Can you not touch it? It's kind of creepy. It's always weird. I like was touching it. Almost called BYU security. Yeah, I almost. Did. Did. did you take care of this? This is security. I they they. It's now, one thing in the studio, but this is in public. Come on. They, they, did I tell you when I walked in just a few minutes ago, he was touching my computer. See? It's the weirdest Personal thing. space. I know. Anyway. I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't know you guys noticed that. So. Uh, how could we not? You always – your hands are so sticky. And then everything you touch gets all sticky. Hey, uh, by the way, today also evaluate your, your life day. Mm. This is the day that – you can look through your life and just say, hey, life, how you doing? Wow. You're, you're not working for me anymore. I need to make a few changes. And then you change it. I'd imagine this music in a department store during yeah. the 70s. I want you to imagine that you're going up an elevator. It's kind of cool. At the old Macy's. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You come out. Mm-hmm. Hey, Gladys. I think this kind of determines how your life is going thus far. This seems it- like a great life. 
if mm. this is the music you're mm. using to wow. evaluate your life. Mm. Mm. Like mm. buying appliances. Mm. Mm. Yes, I'll take the uh, mustard yellow set of appliances. My mom had that fridge. Everybody did. Mustard yellow fridge. That was the color of the 60s, I guess. 70s. Then they pulled up their uh, hardwood floors. Mm -hmm. The linoleum. Yeah. Mustard yellow. Let's put linoleum on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days. Anyway, uh, today is Evaluate Your Life Day. By the way, did you hear this crazy story? This is amazing to me. American Airlines. I mean, as if flying wasn't, you know, dangerous enough. American Airlines had a flight that was delayed for more than an hour by bees that were swarming, swarming, swarming. Bees. Under. <laughs> Flight of the bumblebee? Yeah. Wow. The, the bees were swarming under the wing. Right. So they didn't, they didn't take off? Uh-uh. Why? So it's just, it just had to, because you don't take off with well, bees swarming. Bees are small. It's no. It's not like it's a, like a seagull or something. But a swarm of bees. Flock of seagulls. The, don't get him there. He'll change the music. <laughs> so you have a swarm of bees. Like yes. you can almost hear him right here talking. All right. All right. Go to the wing. Go uh-huh. to the wing. Okay. And they started flying under the wing until service crews noticed it. What do you do? Call the beekeeper. Get the, get the beekeeper. Where's Where's did, American Airlines beekeeper? Did anyone like just think maybe fly away? You know what? Hey, Larry, go swat the go swat the bees. Go swat them. This plane was on the way to Germany. They didn't need bees. All right. So it took one hour to, to get the bees away. Then guess what happened? They came back? They ca- Another swarm came back. Oh. They're back! So dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then what they did is they just hung one of those zappers. Yes, the bug right? zappers. And then... Or, or just get like 10, ki- 10 guys with a can of... Of uh, raid. beast or raid or whatever, and just oh. stand back twenty feet and let them have no, it. No, because we need to keep. The I do it in my backyard. Works well until they come at you, and they have to run around the neighborhood. By the way, there's really good news. When the, after the second swarm of bees, no one was stung. There was no one was stung. <laughs> no casualties. Well, by except the, way, the bees. And just so you know, no bees were killed. Really? In the making of that segment. Okay. But not at the airport. We're not sure about the airport. Oh, by the way, the, and then they're getting all cocky. Uh-huh. They're like. Just so you know, this was not our first encounter with bees. We've done this before. Okay. Powerful. We always like to do dramatizations. And to me, the music there that was really good. helped. It was dramatic. Kind of up the, I think the pulse it took, rate a little bit. I think it took us to a whole new level. Plus, it made us sound like we actually are. Maybe thought about something before classical. we turned the mic on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we're classical. Yeah. That we're, was like classical music. That we're fighting beautiful. with the station down the hall. Mm-hmm. We'll show you. They were just playing something. That. How you play the flight of the bumblebee <laughs> in a story like that. Anyway, uh, let's get to our headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the world? Good morning. Representative Trey Gowdy leading the House Select Committee on Benghazi. That's the correct name for that committee. Preparing to question Hillary Clinton on Thursday about the 2012 attacks. The credibility of his panel has been mainly undermined at the hands of fellow Republicans, amplified by Clinton's presidential campaign. But Gowdy says he thinks the attacks are an attempt to discredit the committee before Clinton testifies before it on Thursday. Gowdy defends his work in his committee has done the committee has done and the secrecy it has worked under, saying that he has never expected he was never expected to lay out his investigation when he was a DA and he won't start now. And Clinton is not the target of this investigation. And unless you're on the committee, you have no idea what we've done, why we've done it, and what new facts we have found. We have found new facts, John, that have absolutely nothing to do with her. 
I get that people don't want to talk about that, but the seven members of my committee are much more focused on the four dead Americans than we are anyone's presidential aspirations. So he says she's not the target. No. She's one witness. Yeah. So lay off. We're not, we're not targeting her. We're going to question her because she has a bunch of insights into things that happened before the attack. Yeah. Then they're going to talk about what happened during the attack. She's not really probably the best expert on that because right. she, she just read the reports as everybody else and then the things that happened after. So they're going to question leading up to it. But if she's not the, the target, there's 12 members. Each committee member gets 10 minutes per round. Times there's four, four rounds. It's going to be eight hours of questioning for one witness who he says is just one witness. She's just one, but she's she's a big, she's a big Granted, one. Granted, Secretary of State. She's the Secretary, was the Secretary of State at the time. And it's Hillary. So what do you do? Yeah, I, I find, a lot I, of questions. I find it interesting. Two days after trading barbs with Republican presidential frontrunner runner Donald Trump, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush kept the spat going on CNN's State of the Union. He told host Jake Tapper that he has grave doubts about his opponent's ability to handle the presidency. Hmm. I have grave doubts, to be honest with you, and it's only because of the things he says. It looks as though he's not taking the possibility of being president of the United States really seriously. For him, it looks as though he's an actor playing a role of a candidate for president, not boning up on the issues, not having a broad sense of the responsibilities of what it is to be a president. So, hmm. Then it's fighting words. But they're fighting on Twitter. Yeah. So a lot of the people that are interested at this point in the election cycle are not seeing not, any of this. Yeah. Which is it's a safer way to fight. Yeah. But then the pundits will bring it up because they're all on Twitter. Right. Because they're trying to fill 24 hours a day of news. Totally. So interesting there. Uh, a U.S.-led coalition airstrike in southwest Syria Thursday killed the top leader of the Al-Qaeda-linked Khorasan group, the Pentagon said on Sunday. The military did not reveal any additional information about the strike. They did say it was the fifth senior leader of this Khorasan group that had been killed in the last four months. Not much known about the group. Intelligence officials say it has emerged as the cell in Syria that may be the most intent and capable of striking the United States or Western allies in a terrorist attack. Mm. So we don't know anything about them. We know that we keep taking out their leaders and they may be able to attack us, but no more details available. Okay. Shadowy would be a word that I would... (laughs) Dark. Use with that there. Um, The State Department was among the worst agencies in the federal government at protecting its computer networks while Hillary Clinton was secretary from 2009 to 2013, a situation that continued to fall apart as John Kerry took office and the Russian hackers breached the department's email system according to an annual report card compiled by the White House based on audits by agency watchdogs. Well, that is so weird. Of all the times to be putting this memo out. It's weird. The White House is yeah. putting out the memo that done under Hillary's watch, the emails were the least secure. This week they put that, e- that of out there. all times to do so that. Each year from 2011 to 2014, the State Department's poor cybersecurity was identified by the Inspector General as a significant deficiency that put the department's information at risk. That is the weirdest timing. It's almost and oh, not, by the way, weird. A, there's no correlation here. I don't know if you know this, but Joe Biden may run for president against Hillary. No way, really? Yeah. Wow. Can you believe? This might soften that what up the? a little bit, make some room for Joe to maybe get some that is the support weirdest his thing. way. I wonder if that that memo will now come up in the hearing. Possibly. There is eight hours. They're going to talk to her. They have to talk about something. It's amazing. On a lighter note. Okay. The newest Star Wars trailer oh boy. will premiere tonight during Monday Night Football. What, what? Hallelujah, 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 
Why are we playing that song? Why not? Well, shouldn't you play a Star Wars song? Ah, it's like kind of cliche. Like the bar. You the, talk about Star Wars. You play Star Wars. It's kind of expected. So you why play would you the play Hallelujah. the Motab? Well, it's because it's a celebratory time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And it, the absurdity continues. Well, ticket, yeah. ticket sales, uh-huh. pre-ticket sales, obviously, for the movie that, that premieres December 18th, go on sale tonight right after the trailers premiered oh man what is happening and we also have... to celebrate the trailer coming out tomorrow or tonight right yesterday they put out three teaser trailers that were like 15 seconds long a teaser trailer would Which, be like a baby trailer for as far as i could tell we're just cut up segments from the first trailer that i've already watched 20 times do you understand that you are a geek absolutely and do you understand that many people have a life? They also put out a poster, a movie poster, and up in the corner may be a Death Star-like structure that they have yet not really talked about. So a new Death Star-like structure might be out in one of the mini trailers or the trailer. It's on the poster. But no matter what, you'll want to buy your tickets soon for a movie that's coming out in two months. Yeah. What's wrong with that? You know what? All I have to say... Terry, yeah. you need to spend more time with your kids. He your was kid. wa- he was watching the trailers with me. Well, you need like, to spend more he's quality like, Dad, time. Dad, what's flying? They're, they're flying right there. He loves Star Wars. Man. I'm so Folks, this is why the future is so sketchy. My wife's like, do we take the four-year-old to see Star Wars? I'm, Absolutely. He'll be fine. You don't even know what that Death Star does. I know. I don't know that I will. I'm going to guess it blows stuff up. Remember... If you just look at the track record, Star Wars, the movie, yeah. it had a Death Star. It blew stuff up. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Return of the Jedi, they rebuilt the, the Death Star. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they actually fired it in the movie. I'll have to watch it for you know, like Don't the 50th time. It. But it was built to blow stuff up yeah. until it was blown up. Hey, can I just point something out? Yes, go ahead. Um, when Kathy does the news, we yeah. never talk about this stuff. Well, I know. I want Kathy back. <laughs> I miss Kathy so much. I miss Kathy. Mm. Matt want Kathy. Anyway, we're going to take a break. No more Death Star. No more just talk of Star Wars. No more Ben playing the Hallelujah Chorus with a Star Wars announcement. We'll take a break, folks. Coming up, Dr. Frank Ninavaji will be joining us right there from Yale, my friends. He's going to be talking about envy and envy theory. I mean, envy has its place, but it might not be the way you're thinking about envy. We'll talk about it, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when uh, with Halloween coming up, many of us uh, end up talking a lot about monsters. And just on the show a lot, we talk about Star Wars monsters. But what if I told you that there could potentially be a monster lurking in your home every day? I'm not talking about a zombie or Godzilla, but rather the green-eyed monster of envy. 
Yale professor Dr. Frank Ninavaji says that all self-undermining attitudes and behaviors are rooted in unconscious envy. Those who are prone to anger, irrationally perceiving that they are unfairly treated or that the wrongs are done to them unjustly, may have a strong underlying source of envy. So Dr. Ninavaji, who is the attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital and board certified in psychiatry and neurology, he's returning to our show today to discuss the psychology article, his psychology article, Envy Theory. Dr. Ninavaji, welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, well, thank you. Always an honor to be invited back to speak with you. You bet. We love having you on here to pick that incredibly strong brain of yours. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Frank, talk to us about this, because we've always heard that envy, you know, watch out for envy, but but really explain to us as a psychiatrist, what what is the big deal about envy, and, and what is the theory of envy? That, I mean, you've created and, and uh, studied, but you're, you're a big, I don't know what we call it, um, proponent of this envy theory. Right. Um, the whole... Generally speaking, and I'm speaking sort of uh, almost uh, simplistically because it's so complicated, envy is considered an emotion, and actually many uh, professional psychologists consider it a secondary emotion only uh, available to persons maybe uh, after the age of two. Hmm. Now, I, uh, in distinction to that, followed the school of Melanie Klein in London. She was a psychoanalyst who lived uh, and worked roughly from about 1920 to about 1960. She's actually the mother of all child psychotherapy in the world. Hmm. But she's um, uh, eclipsed in general because of the very important work of Anna Freud in this country. Anna Freud lived in London, but... Her work and her uh, disciples came to this country and sort of took over the whole field. Okay. All over the rest of the world, uh, people involved with children and child psychoanalysis and child therapy acknowledge Melanie Klein to be the mother of child psychology, psychoanalysis, and uh, therapy. Now, that's a prelude to this. Toward the end of her life, she died roughly around 1960. In 1957, she published a tiny little book, which was the culmination of her life's work. And the name of the book was Envy and Gratitude. Oh, wow. She published it. It was sort of short, succinct, concise, and packed with about 80, 85 years of experience. Um... For some reason, and, uh, you know, we can go into that, but I don't want to right now, that idea of envy and and her idea of envy was that it was central, core, and developed, actually, at birth. Oh, wow. And it really flourished in the first three months of life, and then it had to be toned down so that it would not overtake the individual and cause impairments, psychological impairments. And the way you initially um, kind of introduced this segment about the monster, many people instinctively and reactively thought she was saying that envy is a monster 
and that children, and this is almost silly, children are born poisonous. Oh, wow. Infants are born highly corrupted, <laughs> not able to be corrupted. They were. They were actually darkened and monstrous inherently. Wow. Now, because that was the... Uh, I'll call it urban legend, even though that expression wasn't available in those days. <laughs> yeah. Nobody took this idea up. And this woman died with the epitome of her life's work unrecognized. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. Oh, I know. I know that. Only a few of her followers, the people that she directly analyzed, um, who are all dead now, one of them is considered a great psychoanalyst, he was an MD, Wilfred Bion. He analyzed me because I forced myself to make it my business from Yale and studying my child psychoanalysis in the vein of uh, Anna Freud in the uh, 70s. I forced myself to take months and months off at periodic times to go to London to see Bion while he was <laughs> still alive, yeah. and I had a psychoanalysis with him. How great. Albeit briefly, but within a year he was dead. So I feel that I have a link to the past. So this idea of envy has always been with me, and I've taken it seriously. Now, in the beginning, I thought it was pretty kind of negative and ugly, and it is when it's malignant. But actually, over all the years, and it's been 40 years now that I've been devoting my life to the study and elaboration of envy, that I realize that envy is a gift. Hmm. Envy is a gift of nature, if you want to be spiritual about it, of the great creator of the universe. Envy is a gift because if we can identify it, regulate it, and work with it, it can become the healthy maturation of envy, which, in a couple of words, equals empathy, compassion, and gratitude. Oh, interesting. So it, it is a root of kind of being a natural man, a natural human, but if you can identify you've got envy, uh, regulate it, and then, I guess what, use it effectively? Modulate, Modulate it, it in yourself so that all your negative, envious, spoiling impulses, mm. which are very human, yeah. we all have that. We just have to look at the news to see people who have not modulated themselves, how they externalize envy into aggression and... Um, Death activities, killing and murder and war. Hmm. Freud actually, uh, toward the end of his life, wrote a paper. Why war? It wasn't a paper. It was a letter that he wrote to a to a um, a, a magazine, a newspaper, along with Albert Einstein. They were asked the question, "Why war?" And it, they had to, in a couple of paragraphs give their explanation. Um, Freud said it's an emanation of what he called the death instinct within us, which is the correlate of the life instinct, huh. which really means the 
impulse to act destructively toward ourselves and others, and it's inherent, innate, and constitutional. Nothing wrong with it, but recognize you have it, embrace it, and then modulate it. Yeah, and use it to your good. Amen. That's exactly what it's all about, the healthy maturation of envy. Oh, that's great. I mean, it really is great. And, it's, and yet it's, um, it is so complicated. Let's do this, Frank. Let's take a break and come back. I want you to talk to us about unconscious envy. Right. Because I know that is a big part of what you teach and, and what is reactive envy. And then teach us what we can do to modulate, to identify, and to regulate um, this, uh, this seed of envy that we're born with. Interesting okay. stuff. And our children have it. I mean, it really, it, it does kind of, it's, a, it's kind of an overarching theory of, of life and development. Stick with us, folks. More with Dr. Frank Ninavaji, uh, learning what we can about envy, how to manage it, master it, use it to your advantage. We'll figure it out. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sometimes the the hard things in life turn out to create some of the sweetest rewards for us. And what we may be finding out is envy might do the same thing. It could be, you know, a, a potential monster uh, in our lives, except it is, a, it is a, a natural developmental tool we're learning from our great guest here um, that can help us grow even more empathy more understanding but it's it's a gift of nature and kind of the natural man but we have to identify it regulate it modulate it that's what we're learning from dr frank ninavaji dr ninavaji again uh is a yale professor and um author of the book envy theory and biomental child development perspectives on psychology and parenting which you can get on amazon.com he also has a blog on psychology today um, that uh, is called Envy This. He really is a world uh, expert in envy, folks, and teaching us all about it. So, Dr. Frank Ninavaji, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate uh, you being here. Continue your teaching of, of envy. We, you taught us that it is a gift of nature. It's something that we're, we're born with, uh, and we need to then learn to identify it, regulate it, modulate it. Um, but we also, uh, I, I've read in some of your material that you break envy down into different, I guess, types of envy, an unconscious envy, a reactive envy. Walk, walk us through some of those. Okay. Well, developmentally, if one um, accepts the idea that it is part and parcel of human nature and human psychology and the mind, then um, <clears throat> one has this capacity at birth, and it reaches its height in the first few months of life, and then it becomes modulated, but it's always, um, it's always present in a subliminal way. Now, I say that because when I say that from a developmental point of view, human development, most of what occurs in the first 
6 to 12 months of life is technically unconscious, not in conscious awareness of the infant and remembered and stored consciously. Everything that occurs is experienced and registered unconsciously and remains that way for the remainder of our lives. Hmm. So given that envy has its beginning and culmination early on in the first three, four months of life, it's highly unconscious. You know, when you look at a little one-month-old baby, the baby's eyes are only opened a little bit of the time. Most of the time, the eyes are closed. The baby is not matured. The baby is sleeping a lot. The baby doesn't seem to have internal motivation to do anything. The baby is very, very helpless. Only later on can a baby stay awake for longer periods of time. Can a baby maybe of three months old, after this high point of envy starts to fade, a baby has what's called its first smile. Also, during that time, we hear cooing, all of which signify pleasure, pleasantness, and a reduction of anxiety. A little bit later on, four, five, six months, a baby looks into the eyes of its mother and it knows its mother. From six months on, it looks into the eyes of the other, which it's its father, and it knows its father. It's beginning to differentiate and become a, a more conscious person. Mm. So all of this, all of these envious processes are raw and primitive in the first year of life. They try to get work through, but they remain either very raw, less raw, or more matured as we go on in life, but they stay unconscious. So that's the root of all conscious experience, unconscious background. Hmm. And, and, and that's so, what I mean by unconscious. And that's under that, so that's an underlying, that might be the sense that we don't necessarily consciously think that what we just did was an envious act. That's right. Envy usually is a reactive, a reflexive response to seeing something so magnificent and so extremely superb and good and, and, and grand that we can't tolerate it. And because we can't tolerate it, believing we don't have it, we have to spoil, deface, and destroy. Why? Merely to reduce the anxiety and distress we're experiencing. Hmm. That's the heart and soul of envy. So what it does, just in my little brain, um, but it's, it's kind of, so it's, it's behind the scenes, it's a software that's running, and we may have we may have advanced and developed. We still, but this envy is running. And when we yeah. have something that we think is beautiful, but we don't possess it, like maybe a character trait in another person, or discipline, or hard work, or any other gift that I might see in anyone else, I might, in response to that, turn into being angry or frustrated by it because I don't personally possess that trait or that car or that skill set or that beautiful thing. True, 
as long as the individual idealizes okay. what it, he or she perceives. So if I want if you, money and I don't have it, it makes me mad. Right. If you uh, have just an average amount of money and you see somebody with a little bit more money, you say, oh, I wish I had a little bit more than I have, and then you go on with your life. That's not envy. Yeah, okay. But if you say, I hate millionaires, it's unequal, it's unfair, there should not be any millionaires because I'm not a millionaire. Those people have too much. It's unjust. Mm. As soon as we hear these discrepancies that set up this binary superior-inferior, that means envy's at work. And, that, and that's where we, as a human, growing up, evolving, developing, we need to notice we're, we need to notice it as envy. Oh, I'm having envy in this situation and identify it and then regulate it. Right. By saying, is what I'm experiencing realistic, rational, hmm. workable? Does it permit me as a as a human being to coexist humanely with other human beings? Or is it co- causing me to want to delete and destroy the superior that I perceive? Hmm. That is such a... It's, it's profound, isn't it? It's I, I mean, profound, and it's unbelievably deep and complex. Oh, yeah. But, but it can also... Because it can work with more than just a tangible thing like money. If I see that someone's virtue is is honorable and noble and high and I don't feel that I have strong virtue or worth um then I might get mad about that and tear that down and want to corrupt it mm-hmm. delete it or deface it that's why you have buildings that are defaced windows that are broken people who rob and loot mm. I love this I do too but frank it is so complicated that but it's really no more complicated than other psychotherapeutic philosophies or uh, theories, right? Well, the reason it probably is, is that the root of envy is the death instinct or destructiveness to the self and to the other. Many of us don't want to believe we really are destructive, hmm. partly. Yeah. Not completely. We are loving plus destructive. We are creative plus destructive. Constructive plus destructive. And we only want to see goodness in ourselves. Yeah. We don't want to realize that we have that other aspect which is there to modulate well, the creativeness and the goodness. They work together synergistically. No, right. But so, Frank, from a religious point of view, many people believe that there's an inherent dose of goodness and badness in the natural man. They do, right. I mean, so religiously, right. it's it's not a big jump for a lot of people to just naturally think that. Not that the child is this evil, dark spawn of Satan, but, right. but just simply that But there is the yin and the yang. There's the opposition, and Absolutely. there's the goodness and the dark, and they have to go to battle, and one will win. Exactly, versus the idea that we all are tabula rasa, uh-huh, right. neutral and totally molded and influenced by the environment. Mm-hmm. Totally. See, but, but And it could be, Frank, um, I mean, couldn't the same theory exist, it's just injected socially? 
it's it's because right. of our parents. I mean, because if if it's not that we're born with it, then we developed it by our upbringing. But it it's just as pernicious. Exactly. You However, know, it got the there. Chicken and the egg thing, right? And it, you know how many angels can dance on the pin of a head. Mm-hmm. You know that was like the raison d'être of many people's lives and minds hundreds of years ago, but. We don't have to get into that. It's, no. it's an intellectual distraction away from the fact that it's there. Mm-hmm. If you look at the world, war, killing, beheading, robbing, spoiling, defacing, all this badness and destructiveness, is it just random or chance? No. Mm-mm. It's just as real as life and creativeness and goodness they have to work together to modulate each other hmm. in order for something beautiful to occur and wonderful for ourselves and others. You, and we have to notice it in ourselves, whether is this is this approach of me being angry? I mean, I guess that's it, is we just use our emotion to tell us when we're on the verge of envy or when we are in the grasp of envy. That's the best way, because emotions are, like Freud said, Dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. Mm. That is when you're sleeping and then you are awake. If you're awake and you believe that, then you can work with it. And it's, I think it's true. It's absolutely true. But many of us, when we wake up, we remember the little bit of dreaming and then it fades. Yeah. And all we know is the projections of our eyes to the outside world, the sounds we hear and our center of attention is focused outwardly. Uh, this is, I mean, this this takes, because it's so complicated, we could talk about this forever. But honestly, though, Frank, your, your blog does talk about it. In I depth. try to. I try to, but I have to speak about it yeah. in simple, simple terms, and I, and I risk demeaning it. I, yeah. I, I risk diluting it so... But, you know, it has to be done that way because it's very scary Mm -hmm. to accept the fact that, you know, for an individual to say, you know what, maybe I am a killer. Maybe I am, quote unquote, evil. Maybe I want to kill and rape rape and do bad, horrible, rob money. It's nobody wants to say that. We all want to say you know, we don't want to say. That's the whole point. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to think mm. about all the various emotions we have, especially the negative ones. Mm-hmm. And the negative ones, you know, you learn by mistakes. This is the way to learn and develop yourself to be a healthy person, an empathetic person who has perspective-taking, sense of gratitude. And a big thing that's very infrequently talked about is forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness, you know, it's sort of easy to to forgive other people in a way, but, and you know, that's hard enough for most people to sure. forgive others, but it's possible and it's palpable, it's graspable to forgive another, but what about forgiving yourself? You have to continuously forgive yourself of all the things that you you believe, and each of us believes there's something deep 
that is secret and not to be spoken about, not to be looked at, and that's the idea of the destructive parts of us, Hmm. the not-so-pretty parts of us. We have to look at that, say, wow, it's there, let's forgive it, let's work with it, and let's enhance it for our good and the good of other human beings. Yeah. Um, We have a couple minutes left, Frank. So um, what else do we need to know just about envy in our own lives? Because if it's a a subconscious kind of uh, trait, um, I guess it could be habitualized in our consciousness. I mean, we can become – we would never notice it's envy probably. It's just justifying or it's whatever we're doing. That's exactly right. We justify, rationalize. Yeah, rationalize. justify, right, all of that. We intellectualize. Realizing that <clears throat> there, each of us is a, a human being with a capacity for goodness and for badness, for creativity and for destructiveness, and both are very, very strong, and we, it's easier to accept and acknowledge the, the goodness, yeah. whatever there is, in each of us, and it's very hard to accept the destructiveness and the envy and the greed and the jealousy, but it's important to do that, keep it as conscious as possible, particularly at times of loss, disappointment, frustration, and the word you used, anger, Mm. because anger is very conscious and very aggressive, and if it's uncontrolled, it turns into hatred over the long period of time, and then heads get chopped off, and political parties berate other, right. the other political party, and men with women and women with men. Mm. You know, yeah. it's when, when in point of fact, it's not us and the other, it's man divided against himself. Right. That's where it's at. I love that. <laughs> so Honestly, it's, it's brilliant, and it... Um, it does jive. I mean, it almost seems like it's kind of the underlying. Uh, it's just it's the underlying source of the inherent selfish man. That's right. The in, the in man who's inherently both selfish and loving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both, yeah, the both, paradox. Always both. Always mm-hmm. both. Right. In synchrony. In synergism. So what's what's the positive? Was that was that what she brought up in her book, her final book? Um, what was her name? Melanie, Melanie Klein. Klein. Did, she brought up uh, envy and gratitude. Is gratitude the the love side of it? Exactly right. But I use the expression the healthy maturation of envy in okay. order to give envy its uh, complete name. Okay, not as a monster, but something that when it's uh, matured in a healthy way becomes gratitude, empathy, and compassion. Mm, That's beautiful. I love it, Frank, and I I wish it wasn't so complicated. (laughs) That's the way it is. But you know why I think it is? is It's because all of us and our envy fights against envy. Looking at it, right? We want to stay as unconscious as possible and always have to sort of fight and struggle against it. But I view that as real, but a real adventure. Yeah, yeah. It's a real adventure, and it's exciting. Oh, man, Frank, we're having you back. And we'll just, let's just have you back and continue the discussion of envy. 
Excellent. And we'll just keep doing it until we make it so everybody gets it. Oh, that sounded envious. All right. <laughs> well done. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, we appreciate you. Everybody, go find, go look up Psychology Today, his blog, Envy This. Um, it really is. Ah, what an interesting theory. Envy theory, folks. There's so much to learn, isn't there? Think about our just our own acts, day in, day out, driven by envy at one level or another. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick little wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, what an interesting um, theory. And, and again, complicated, super, super complicated. But this is, you know, when you have a psychiatrist from Yale who spent his entire life, 40-plus years, working on a theory of envy, it's going to be complicated. But to simplify it, what if just in every one of us, just because we're natural men and women, just natural, born of natural means or whatever, what if we're all just born with a drop of divine goodness and a drop of complicated darkness? Just a drop in our subconscious mind. And then from that, we just, we see everything from Maybe both sides, but what Frank is bringing up is there's this there's this there's this point to this, which is agency, the power of knowing that you have a free agency or an ability on your own to act against the pull of that negative. You don't have to be envious just because you have envy. Eventually, you can notice it doesn't serve you. Man, it seems to explain a lot of what people explain through religion. There's the pull of the good and the bad, and from birth we're all in a battle to figure out if good can win. Interesting. Envy. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Great stuff. We'll come back. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world to figure out yourself. Um, Next hour, Kim Giles will be with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. We need to give you the this, this stuff, the goods, so you can go make your life better. In just a few minutes, we'll have Kim Giles on from Clarity Point Coaching. She's one of our contributors, the uh, you know coach extraordinaire, and she's going today to be addressing infidelity, cheating. It's interesting. How do you how do you handle it? What do you do? 
The question she a- a- answers in her uh, piece that she wrote today was about what if you think your spouse is doing mm. something, but you have no proof, Ugh. but you don't believe them when they say they aren't having yeah. an affair. Because so, a lot of times you have this gut feeling something's wrong, Yeah, something's wrong, and then you ask them and uh, That wasn't good enough. No, it doesn't. You're a monster. There you go. Doesn't feel right. Mm. And then you don't believe them anyway. So, so do you go? Do you follow them? Do you follow them? I mean, she even went as far as you look on their phone, you have all their passwords, and still yeah. you just don't. <sighs> something's something wrong, there. wrong there. Because many times they may not be having an affair. They may just be, you know, doing fantasy football. Could be. Right? Could be. Or, like with Ben, it's not an affair. It's just he just really, really likes Skittles. Wow. Skittles? The dude eats Skittles. That's like, what you pick? He right. eats them like they're candy. I don't even have anybody to have an affair against. No, with. Well, or yeah, against. Or against. Right. Yeah. You'd have to be, okay, I understand. That just sounds weird. Yeah, all of that. The, the whole conversation, kind of odd. I'm glad, Ben. I'm glad that you have no one in your life that you could have a fair and a fair against. Just a lonely <laughs> heart. <laughs> it just is sad. Yeah. Are you, I mean, that's sad. It's so sad that you you need someone. Should we get him a date? He needs a date. Should we set him up? I know, but you can't. You don't want to set him up so we can have an affair against him. Well, um, no, but it sounds like he's like you said. He's he's a lonely heart. He's, well, if you look at him, get a puppy or something. He's way lonely. Yeah, maybe a nice bag of Skittles. Yeah, that's why he. <laughs> okay, let's move on. That's why he pops Skittles. Hey, um, did you hear this crazy story today? Holy cow! Um, this is why I'm not, I'm not going to run. I'm not a runner. Oh, runner. In Maryland park, uh, there's an owl that apparently doesn't give a hoot about runners. Hmm. So park officials are warning of an aggressive owl that is believed to be, um, attacking runners on the popular trail in Bethesda, Maryland. Hmm. At least three runners on the Capitol. Crescent Trail. It's called the Capital Crescent Trail. Have reported being attacked by a large pesky bird. One of them I die, identified as a barred owl. Huh. Defending its nest, probably. Probably. The attacks occurred after nightfall or dawn in the past two weeks. Officials say the runners suffered only minor scratches when the bird swooped down on their heads from behind. Boy, that is an aggressive owl. From behind and, um, you know, just... <laughs> Just a little head peck. Ouch. Uh, you tell me. Montgomery Park spokesman Melissa Chotner says barred owls are typically active at night and they are territorial. She suggests. Well, apparently. This is her suggestion. Make noise as the owl approaches and make sure that you tuck in your uh, ponytails. Okay, that's great advice. So that's poke, great advice. Poke in the or tuck in the ponytails yeah. because of it looks like something. It looks like a rat flapping around. Okay, I don't know. Interesting. And make noise. So, what the question is? What, what noise do you make? This is the noise. Hmm. Again. Yeah, that was Ben's noise. Little much. Little yeah. much. Yeah. I'd, I'd go with something like this. That could work. Do you think? The explosions, making explosion noises near the Capitol in D.C. might cause a problem. Yeah, you think you think having a 
owl grab your head is bad. I went there and the Congress was out of session. Uh-huh. You know, like mostly they are. Yeah. If you look at how many days a year they actually yeah. work, they're mostly out of well, session. They're very busy people. Not very in the busy. capital working. We uh, went there. They're all gone. But we went through seven security checks and we never actually walked into a building yet. Really? Yeah, it was it was crazy. They, I don't know if you know that those guys, they weren't real security people that were checking. Really? Them. Yeah. yeah. No, those were just vagrants. Yeah. Well, they had uniforms. Yeah. No, it's easy to get a uniform back east. All right. Yeah, you were played. <laughs> you, you, did you just go stand in a line? Was it right in the middle no. of like the mall and there's nothing around? No, but... there was just every – you'd walk yeah. you'd walk into through a, a secure checkpoint. And they, they, it's a trap. Yeah. They yeah, look in your bags. And... Yeah. No, that wasn't a security. That was just – they do that all the time. Then once you got inside buildings, it was every every corner you right. turned, there was another person there. Nothing wrong with it. Just protecting the nation. They just need to get the owl uh, out there. So, you know. But it's probably protected. It's a protected owl. Yeah, so it's like you can't do anything. <laughs> it's all a trap. You can't get out of it. Hey, um, before we go, we've, before we move on, we got to talk headlines. There's a lot of crazy th- headlines going on. Uh, Kathy's out today, but Terry South is in teaching us all things headlines. Good morning. Senator Ted Cruz was asked about the prospects of Representative Paul Ryan from Wisconsin as the next Speaker of the House during a segment of Meet the Press on Sunday. The senator was specific, asked specifically if Ryan was a, quote, true conservative. And Cruz dodged a direct answer. Cruz went on to criticize Republican leadership as essentially being Democrats. Why do you think John Boehner's stepping down? He's stepping down because the American people are furious with Republican leaders that don't do what they promised. The truth of the matter is, Republican leadership are the most effective Democrat leaders we've ever seen. They passed more Democratic priorities than Harry Reid ever could. There you go. Wow. Most effective Democrats. Good job, GOP. (laughs) Helping the Democrats in a way they can't help themselves. Hillary Clinton only saw a small bump in national polls after last week's Democratic debate, but she still remains the head of the pack. Clinton picked up three percentage points of support in the latest CNN poll, giving her 45% to Bernie Sanders' 29%. Sanders saw a five percentage point jump from the prior poll. Vice President Joe Biden, who is not running as of yet, saw a four percentage point jump. Or drop, actually, because he was not part of the debate, I imagine. Bad news for Hillary Clinton. Senator Bernie Sanders is slowly but surely capturing the support of millennials across the country. Sanders' support among millennials has been rising since August, according to national polling. Uh, Clinton's support among the key demographic has been dropping. Just a few months ago, Sanders led Clinton 44 to 36. Amongst that age group now, uh, he leads his lead has widened to 54% to Clinton's 26% among millennials. So a 20 percentage point difference yeah. under people who don't watch debates, probably. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump saving his campaign money for the important things, namely his signature apparel. Political reports so far Trump's campaign has spent more than $700,000 on hats and T-shirts, marking the campaign's biggest expenditure. While 700000 is undoubtedly huge amounts to spend on T-shirts and hats, it's admittedly only a fraction of the funds that Trump has raised. Although Trump initially vowed to finance his own campaign, political reports that he has raised $3.9 million so far. He has given 100000 to his campaign out of his own pocket. Wow. That's it. So this is really being run by Trump, Inc., though. Then right. somebody, someone else is absorbing these costs, which must be his company. It better be. Someone better pay for all this. But I thought you'd have to declare that. Apparently not. Okay. Well, that might... He has a lot of accountants. They're very good at what they do. Oh, we've heard about that. <laughs> We've heard about that. The uh, boy that made the uh, 
alarm clock. He yes. went to school in Texas yes, and got the, kicked the guy out. That was trying to blow up his school class. But he didn't make the alarm clock. He disassembled an alarm clock, assembled it in a different way in a box, and took it to school. Mm-hmm. It's not like he invented the right. alarm clock. But he's going to the White House today. Oh. They're having a White House astronomy night. There will be stargazing on the South Lawn if you're interested. Wow. You'll get to go through security. You have to go through multiple layers of security, but uh, Ahmad Muhammad will be amongst How the guests. How great for him. As, as was promised on Twitter. That's right. They took care of him. And while he's there, he may as well fix some alarm clocks. They may have some in the building. Don't you wonder how the Secret Service would have handled him walking up with that box? Of... Not very kindly. Oh, but it was There's just a box. A... Oh, they would have. They would have not cared. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't have cared. That's crazy. And yeah, have you ever thing. been to Tombstone, Arizona? I spent a night there one week. Two people injured during a reenactment of the gunfight in Tombstone, Arizona, when a gun was used in, a sh- in the show was accidentally filled with live ammo. Oh, no way. The incident occurred during a standoff in the Old West Town. One actor was injured, underwent surgery to remove the bullet. A bystander whose condition was unknown was also injured. So you're, you have your, your fake Old West shootout oh, and someone man. put real bullets in the gun. Well, this looks so Real. Wow, that was real. There's no way that guy didn't get shot. Did you see his chest just explode? Oh, that is tragic. Yeah. No one died, though. Well, blah. Somebody's going to get in trouble. Live ammo. There was a shooting over the weekend at a zombie con. Okay. Anyway, that's the show. So, um, And they haven't found that guy yet, so. There was a shooting. A, there's a zombie con. There's a zombie con. People were dressed as zombies, you know, celebrating all, all things zombie. And there was a shooting. People. I read people. one person, one person killed, three people injured. They have not, not found the assailant. So. Remain seated, please. Absolutely. That is the dumbest thing in the world. Zombie con. Was the guy shot in the head? Isn't that the only way to kill a zombie? I, I didn't want to look because I, <sighs> I didn't know what if are we doing? there'd be a parody on that because that's what you do. No, what you do is you stay home with your family well, there's that. and you take care of each other and you don't dress up like zombies. But it might be fun. Sure. They okay. do like zombie I know. marathons. We have a holiday for that. <laughs> yeah, Halloween. It's coming up in like a week, I right? Know. A week or two? You don't need a zombie con. <laughs> you don't. <sighs> okay. Anyway, good stuff. Good news. Well done. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Kim Giles will be on the phone with us from Clarity Point Coaching. She's going to be walking through the very basic question. If you think your partner is having an affair, what do you do? What do you do? How do you address it? How do you get rid of the fear? How do you trust somebody that maybe you're not trusting? Is it them? Is it you? How do you handle it? We'll give you some really great advice on it. Up next with Kim Giles, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Gary Underwood's having having a little problem there. Mm. What are you supposed to do if you think your partner may be cheating on you? Well, who better to help us with that question than Kim Giles, who is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. She's a popular life coach, author, and speaker. By the way, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America back in 2010 and also uh, has been named by the Matt Townsend Show one of the top advice gurus 
in the intergalactic area by uh, yours truly here. Kim Giles, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. That song was cracking me up. That's what we came into. Yeah, isn't that great? That's one way to handle it, right? So if you think your partner's having an affair, one way to handle it is to dig your key into the side of his truck. Another yeah, way, though, be the best no, way. there's got to be better ways to, to think it through because, A, you may not even know he's having an affair, um, but you, you wrote an article on this that I think it's, it's really important because we have fears. You talk about those, and, but the fears aren't always substantiated. So walk us through this. What do we need well, to do? First, Matt, I have to tell you this is interesting because this is one of the most common questions that people write in with. Really? Which is really surprising that yeah. there's that many people out there that are that don't trust their spouse. I mean, I probably get one a week of this question, and then when I write an article on this topic, it gets more hits than almost any other. And wow. that kind of makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah, what are we doing? I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, and some of it is we just we may not trust and some people aren't trustworthy Mm -hmm. because this can go both ways. Right. Yeah. And I I find working with my clients and I'm wondering if you do, too, that it's about 50 50. Yeah, no, exactly. About half the time, there's really a reason to not trust a spouse. And then another half of the time, the the spouse is totally trustworthy Mm -hmm. and the person just has fear issues. I see the exact same thing. And and then I also see, but it, it almost doesn't matter, does it? Because even if even if you could prove to them that they were innocent, um, some people don't want to hear that. Yeah. Ugh. So so I think the first thing we've got to talk about is how do you know the difference between your intuition pinging that there is really something wrong and just a fear that comes from your own issues, is there a way to feel the difference? Mm. That's such a good question. Because many times intuition is so right on, you don't want to negate it. You don't want to question it. So what what do you teach? What is the way that you kind of teach them to recognize the difference between just intuition prompting you and uh, fear, you know, creating a story? Yeah, so I, there's no exact science, but I'll give you a couple ideas of things that clients have noticed the difference between the two messages. Um, Most of the time when you're really, when it's a a fear issue, it's more of a panic and anxiety feeling, and and it usually makes you kind of paralyzed about what to do. Mm -hmm. Fear doesn't motivate action as much as peaceful intuition warnings do. When, it, when it's a warning from your intuition, you know, it, 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 it kind of encourages action a little bit more than just fear does. Yeah, I love and that. Intuition is also usually less emotional and more focused in the moment where fear is very emotionally charged and usually tied to experiences more from your past. And so I always ask somebody, you know, what, what's happened in your life, even as a small child and, you know, in past relationships, if you were betrayed by people, even, you know, I, I see a lot of people who were adopted as a child and, you know, I have an adopted daughter yeah. and, and here, you know, a parent basically gave them away as a child, 
they sometimes have subconscious trust issues even from that kind of experience. Right, right. I mean, so they could be carrying that trust with them. So when you ask them that, they open up and they, I mean, because, I mean, those are very good examples. If you feel paralyzed and it brings back a fear that you kind of reconnect to your childhood, then it probably is generated by fear. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you've got a history with that kind of thing happening, there's no question you have some subconscious abandonment issues. And so you have to take that into account. Now, if, if in your past you really don't have that, you've never had abandonment issues at all, and that you're getting that feeling, you might more lean towards it being intuition pinging. Now, I, I do have to also say, sometimes what we're what our intuition is picking up on is sort of a detached energy from our spouse. Right. That something isn't right, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that he's cheating, but. But there's something in the relationship that definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah. I mean, it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, he could be – something can be awry or weird, and yet uh, it may not be infidelity. It may just be he is disconnecting or he's doing something else. I mean, I've seen it go a million different directions. Yeah, and I'm sure you you could help me name a bunch of obvious signs if the spouse really is cheating. Oh, yeah. You know, they're they're working an awful lot, and they've always got an excuse to be away from home. Mm -hmm. If Uh, if everything's about their abs. (laughs) Yeah, much more concerned about how they look and their cologne. Yeah, Yeah, if they never had an ab before, and now they've got like six, and that's all they talk about, and they've got lots of friends at the gym, and they're not coming home as much. and I mean, it could be a million things. Um, I mean, I, I've just had people. Phone, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Or just, I mean, I haven't you ever just noticed sometimes just like someone's midlife crisis becomes, it's not, it's not, there is no infidelity, but the person is just down. They're just, they're just upside down in their lives. They're not happy. Right. So you've, you've got to show up for your spouse, give them somewhat benefit of the doubt, and then have some conversations about what's going on. And I feel when you when you really start having a conversation about it, there are a lot of ways to kind of tell. Your, your intuition will really ping when you're right face-to-face with someone talking to them about the issue, if they're lying or telling right. the truth. Yeah. I mean, really, that's you, you almost have to trust your ability to read it. And that's why I like if, if somebody's intuition is prompting them, I always want them to own it and, and appreciate it and and just know that it's working for you. Now let's just go find out what it all means. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I also really find sometimes it helps to sort of make a decision that, you know, I've decided I'm going to trust my spouse. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and let it all go and and get into a really peaceful place there and then see if the intuition is still thinking that something's there. Mm. Because sometimes just that choice to be in trust calms down the fear and and you can get peaceful and, and stay that way. Yeah. So it's kind of try, try on trust and see how that feels. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love that idea. And then just kind of sit, I always say, just sit in it for a minute, you know? Don't just, like, I, I just went and bought some new clothes, which is like the worst thing I do in my life. But sometimes you have to just try them on and like keep them on for a minute. <laughs> Don't just, yeah, just, just exactly. see, see how they fit. You know, so I did some moves. I was dancing in the changing room. Just wanted to see if I could still dance with these clothes, and you know, 
Wow, I wish we had been able to see that. Oh, yeah, there's video. We'll be posting video <laughs> later on it. Okay. Well, <laughs> do we have a couple more minutes? Let's do can this, actually. A couple more points? No, this will be a perfect break. We'll come back, okay. continue the discussion, and when we come back, Kim will just start, you know, now that we know there's a difference between intuitions, promptings, and, you know, your fear prompting, now what do we do with it? More on uh, better reading of your own um, insight. Is he cheating? We'll figure out. Give you some more tools right here on The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us today is Kim Giles uh, from the website and the company Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out that website, claritypointcoaching.com. And uh, Kim is answering, um, she wrote an article that was answering a question that she gets regularly about, I, I don't trust my husband, I love him, but she, this person just gets this sense that they're, that, you know, he's cheating on her. So she's uh, Kim's here today to help us understand what we're supposed to do when it's fear versus intuition, when we sense that something's going on with our our loved ones. Um, welcome back to the show, Kim. Thanks. Great. I mean, it really is. A, it's an important topic. Again, I've seen more marriages saved by intuition of and sensing that their their partner was disconnecting. I've seen it save so many marriages. So we want to trust it. We don't want to just run from these feelings, but we also want to make sure they're the right feeling. Right. So at the end of the day, Matt, I, well, and you know, I also want to say, we've been talking about, is your husband cheating? Right. I see just as many oh. where it's the wife. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. So we're, we don't want to throw men under exactly. the bus. Exactly. We can throw women under buses place. too. Let's do that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we do, if your intuition is really pinging, I know Matt agrees with me, we want you to get some professional help as a couple as quick as yeah. possible. Get in right? there, t- open up the hood, figure out what's going on. It's going to be your best bet if you want to save this marriage is you get some professional in there to help you. Especially because so, it is trust, right? And trust is the glue. And if the glue's going away, then the thing's going to come apart one way or another. It sure is. And and we can help you fix things so much faster than you could on your own. It'll take you years to do what we could do in weeks. Yeah. So, okay, having said that, you've got to understand that most of the time it is going to be in your best. Um, it's going to serve you best if you choose to trust your spouse and not give in to all this fear and suspicion and distrust. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because if you choose to be suspicious and distrusting and question them all the time, you're, you're going to be the one who's drive, creating a problem in this marriage. And the bad is going to be on you right. for, for creating that. And a couple of really destructive things happen when you don't trust your spouse. First of all, it makes them not trust you either. And, and it's weird that it works that way, but when, when somebody is constantly suspicious, we're, we're always afraid they're projecting and that maybe I really can't trust them. Mm-hmm. And you're also bringing fear into the relationship, and that's making your partner feel unsafe with you because fear, you can have fear or you can have love. You can't have them both. Yeah. 
So you're going to be creating this wedge in the relationship. And you're also, when, when we show up in fear, it's really coming from kind of a weak place. Uh-huh. And it kind of makes your spouse lose respect for you. Oh, yeah. Well, and you look very needy, don't you think? Yeah, and if they are afraid of you because of all of this fear, they would actually—I always say—they drive, they drive the information down deeper. So it makes it harder for you to get data, which makes it, it just reinforces your cycle. So now you're less likely to trust them. But this person can't give you more data because you can't handle it because you're not trustworthy either, and so it create it, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. It does. Have you, I've seen this so many oh, times yeah. when a spouse was like this for years and the partner finally couldn't take it anymore and wanted out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that's what it's about, right, is they they the, what the cool thing about this, too, is if you do trust them, like you're saying, then they will relax and you will actually get more data. I always just say if you want to if you want to get water out of a river, you kind of you can open your hand out, open it up and cup it, or you can just keep closing your hand and squeezing for more water. But eventually, opening yourself up gives you more data. So you, if you don't know if he's cheating or not, then trust that he's not or she's not. And and that will, by opening up, you're going to get more data, more information. Right. That's a great point. Don't you think also, you're, if you're going to be in fear and be suspicious and distrustful, and you're bringing that into the relationship, um, your spouse is not going to feel loved. Right. Literally not feel loved, he's going to detach more. Yeah. So if you just choose to trust him and give him the benefit of the doubt and be loving, and, you know, I, I recommend these four magic things. Every day, if you'll make your spouse feel appreciated, admired, respected, and wanted. Mm. And that's your goal every day. That's person is going to adore you. Absolutely. And the chance of losing them is going to go way down. So instead of focusing on your fear that's all about you, be a giver. Focus on showing up for your spouse. And even if there was a problem, that may may right itself and bring them back to you. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, when you think about it, what other choice do you have except the opposite of it? So Yeah, which is a really bad option. Right. And, and especially if you're wrong. I mean, the, the thing about this is if you don't have to you don't have to do you don't have to trust him if there is an abundance of data that is there. But I mean, we're not saying go be naive and just keep trusting the guy that or gal that has an abundance of data that they're cheating on you. But oh, if, yeah. if there's not enough data, to, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's great advice. What else? What do we do? I mean, what do we do when we. I mean, because in a way, if I trust, but I still have this fear, then I need to go deal with my fear. Right. So I, I, that's the next thing I was going to say. If you really feel like th- this is your trust issue, you've got abandonment issues, and you are destroying your marriage because of your trust issues, please get some professional help on that. It's amazing what what a professional can do to help you improve your self-esteem to help you get in trust a little more with life itself so that you can trust other people more. And you really, it's very hard to fix those things on your own. No, totally. And because a lot of times you can't see them on your own because you you don't, I mean, it's like everyone can see everyone else's flaws a little easier sometimes just because we 
you know, we're trying to cover up. Well, yeah, and if you knew how to fix it, you would have already. So obviously you need to learn some new things right. that maybe a professional can help you figure out. And, um, Matt, I always recommend one of the many free things on my website. Yeah, yeah. Is a fear assessment. Right. And I'll tell you what, I've got some measurements on that fear assessment that will show you on paper if you've got subconscious trust issues. That's one of the things the fear assessment measures. And, and so if you are afraid that maybe this is just your paranoia that comes from your fear, go to claritypointcoaching.com and take the free fear assessment. Let us email you a report so that you can see that this might, in fact, be you. Yeah. Not your spouse. I mean, and that's free. So you go to Clarity Point Coaching, fear assessments right there at the top of the page. What, um, what When you look at a client, you've seen people that had trust issues, and they can, they can get rid of it. I mean, they can fix that, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the funny thing is most of us have grown up with a, a very deep subconscious program that life itself can't be trusted. Yeah. The, the universe is a dangerous place, and I'm at risk all the time. And that attitude kind of creates distrust with people and relationships. And then if people have let you down, that just confirms to you, now you've got a really strong belief that people can't be trusted. It's amazing when we do a little work on changing the way you see your life and the universe that God's created for us. He's, he's created this universe as our classroom. Mm-hmm. But this universe is a wise teacher and knows what it's doing, and it brings you experiences to help you become stronger, smarter, and more loving. And, and if you can start to trust that whole process of life, trust the universe itself, you'll find that you can trust people a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And that, that's one of the biggest points I've seen is just simply because um, – a lot of times our partner ends up pushing on our biggest vulnerability, which is uh, – so if our biggest vulnerability is trusting somebody, then, man, this will uh, – this could unhinge us. Again, well done. Uh, appreciate you, Kim, and the great work you do there at Clarity Point Coaching. Go to the website, claritypointcoaching.com. Take the fear assessment. Uh, it's right there at the top of the page. And and start dealing with your fear issues and the real data, right, behind some of these Uh, relationship breakdowns that we have. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. When we come back, we'll be talking to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, their take on BYU's win last Saturday. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We know how our guys down in uh, Studio B, they like, uh, they like Evita. It's one of their favorite shows. So whenever we break in, we like to, they're always singing this song. We thought we'd throw them a bone on this one. Hello, gentlemen, down at BYU Sports Nation. How are you doing today? What show are you talking about? Oh, come on. No, seriously. Jerem. Evita? Evita. Madonna. Evita. Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Never seen Mmm. Famous... Play on Broadway. Uh huh. Yes. 
Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it was made into a movie with Madonna as the main character, I believe, in the early to mid-90s. Is that right, man? Wow, yes, I believe that is absolutely correct. Spencer. Yeah. Um, hold on. Oh. <laughs> beautiful. Okay. It is. When, the, score, wait, wait. the score is absolutely when, gorgeous. When do the rights yeah. to play this music end? Like, is it 20 seconds? Is you know it... what? We'll let Don worry about that. <laughs> He'll be Don't in here in one minute. an email later. Okay. Hey, from Madonna's people. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, uh, guys, that game, I, I keep saying it was Saturday, but Friday night, that was quite a game. Holy cow. 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter. BYU I continues know. this trend of <sighs> dominating the opponents. I love that, but we got to stop part it. part of the game. I know. It's freaking me out. Why? The, no, but who Let's, cares? Well, you let, win, you win. No, 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 no. Let's play the same way in the first quarter and the second quarter. I don't know to, to that it's so much that they are playing bad that, in the first quarter. Listen, mm-hmm. not, Baylor, number two in the country, doesn't even play that way all four quarters. Nobody plays well for four quarters. Well, you I mean, have at, off quarters. At least we play strong when we need to. Listen, f- yeah, yeah, exactly. BYU the gets imp- better as the game progresses. The most important quarter is the fourth quarter. You want to close. You want to close it out strong, right? To, football games are like your marriage. Yeah. Right. You you um, hope that every quarter is equally awesome. You know, tw- <laughs> hey, twenty eight points a quarter. It's going to be a ma- no, no. Pretty, you know, pretty consistent. There's going to be some really good times. Right. You're going to struggle some, whatever. But just so you know, as a marriage guy, yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that go on in football that shouldn't happen in your marriage. Face masks, blocking punts, blocking punts, personal fouls, personal fouls. We've seen some of those unnecessary roughness. Yeah, a hit by Kai Nakua where you knock the guy out of bounds, (laughs) stuff like that. But it's a great metaphor. That's not tolerated. (laughs) Did you hear what Max Morrison, the receiver, tweeted out? Okay, tell us that. That was the funniest thing ever. Can you talk about it? I haven't talked about it yet. He wears number twenty-five. Cincinnati receiver Max Morrison tweets out the following (laughs) after BYU beat the Bearcats: "Quote: If losing isn't bad enough." I got knocked out by a 25-year-old virgin who has never tasted Mountain Dew, end quote. I love that. That is so <laughs> And only great. one of those things is probably true. That's exactly right. And we won't even say what it is. But it's Kai Nakua for crying out loud. Yeah, Kai Nakua knocked that fool out, man. <laughs> that was he was, it was, a good, it was a good hit. I don't think it was a dirty hit no. either. It just, it just was a really physical yeah. play. And what's right. funny is last night, Kelly Papinga, one of the BYU defensive assistant coaches, tweeted a picture saying, I just want the world to know that I love, uh, let's see, his, I thought I would make sure the world knows that I love Mountain Dew. Kai Nakua does as well. Oh, there we go. <laughs> picture of him okay. with Mountain Dew, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. But, I mean, really, in many ways, they oh, they looked so good, didn't they? This is why, oh, we need, we need more games. Luckily, we have, uh, you know, five, maybe six more. Yeah. We'll have six. There will be six more, Jerem. <laughs> I don't know, I'm man. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there's there six. There will be six more after this Saturday when BYU beats the juggernaut in the FCS, the Wagner Seahawks. Mm. Yeah, they let's will just, be bowl eligible. Let's just call them the Seahawks for marketing purposes. They, now, you know what? Oh, you guys, be careful because you could get a weird – Curse! No, I'm telling you, Matt. No. Come on, no. come on. This no. is an this is an they're not a winless. They're a winless, winless FCS. F- oh, are you team. serious? <laughs> Tanner Mangum could play left-handed, and BYU they're, would win the game. Okay, they're, they're coming to get the financial benefit out of this game. So whatever amount of money BYU is going to give them to help their program, great. 
They are coming to allow BYU to scrimmage and work out a few kinks. And, and they'll keep stats, and yeah, there'll be a score, great. and there'll be refs, and we'll, we'll broadcast it on BYU TV this, uh, this Saturday. I mean, it really is. a it's, it's all upside for them. Is there, they have nothing to listen, lose listen, and the, money to gain. This team is about as bad as the team BYU played last year, Savannah State. Yeah, yeah. And that head coach said to us, no, 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 it was two years ago, that Idaho State was, was twice the team that Wagner is. Oh, my And heavens. that coach said, if we score, I'll do a snow angel on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> to us. That's, that's the standard. The standard stinks. This is a big deal. I mean, it's a why, – why, so just explain to the rest of the listeners, why are we doing this? Why are we playing a game that is of this level? Almost every team in college football does this. Do I they? believe the Pac-12 is one of the – maybe it's the Big Ten as well or one or both – that say we, we won't play FCS teams, formerly known as Division I AA. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a game that you – are going to win a lot of teams. Not every team's like BYU, where you go to a bowl game, and that's not the standard. Going mm-hmm. to a bowl game, if that's your school, if that's the standard for your program, that's a low standard. Right, are like forty bowl games. Sixty-three percent of college football teams will go to a bowl. It's game. not hard to go to a bowl game. It's not like making the NCAA tournament. That is right. a more elite company. Why? So why? You, why are they not? You just you just do it. It's just a thing you do. It's a financial benefit. You get another win. You get a, a home game. I know. Why why don't they do? Why don't they play like a team that's more in state so they could fill the stadium up and get? Depends on schedules. For okay. example, Tom Homel, BYS, BYU's athletic director, told us that Wagner was the key to getting BYU's game against Missouri. Yeah, we have the Seahawks to thank for BYU being able to play at Arrowhead Stadium oh. on November fourteenth against Missouri. Now, Southern oh, Utah, Weber State, they don't always have the same openings the same week that yeah. BYU needs, per se. And uh, does BYU want to play Southern Utah? Uh, former BYU head coach Gary Croton was there. He right. Resigned that could have been fun. Offensive coordinator. Their quarterback. Their quarterback. Was, could had have been five touchdowns last week. Maybe there's week. something there that's like, hey, we want to respect Gary Croton and not okay. set up an awkward situation. I don't know what the relationship is there, but hmm. that could be a thought. Okay. See, this is stuff I would not have known. Weber go. State, by the way, uh, the the punter from Michigan who dropped that, uh, you know, a, yeah. a punt at the end of the game, he was at Weber State um, for for the last couple of seasons and then oh. grad transferred to Michigan. He's really? an Australian guy named Blake O'Neill. Oh, I felt so bad for and him. And he's, he's been amazing up until that yeah. play. He had a great game. In fact, Johnny Linehan, BYU's punter, had the longest punt. In uh, FBS until yeah. that game, Blake O'Neill had an 80-yard punt in that game. You know what? My car did the same thing that that punter did right when the warranty expired. <laughs> he just came unglued. And it's, I mean, that was like tragic. I mean, professionally, that will go down in Michigan history as everyone will know his name. That one's right there Ill. with the Appalachian State debacle that Michigan went through in 2007. Remind they me. lost to an FCS team, albeit a, uh, the defending right? national champions oh, exactly. at the time. Right. It, it, Wagner's no defending national champion no. in FCS. So this is so this is how, how do you get up for this game? It's on BYU TV, so we'll make sure it's awesome. And then and it's our it's our one live game. We're a year. going to probably produce a bingo card of some sort. No, for real, we're going to do this. <laughs> like when certain players hit stats or we something the, happens in the game. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Or that's a great money. idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we did that last year just so you could have something more to do. Well, plus game. it keeps the senior crowd involved. Yes, there is yes, also it does. that because yeah. they love bingo. It's huge in Vegas. <laughs> our this power is cool. bingo card's huge in Vegas. <laughs> you guys, I'm telling you, it, it's never a dull moment with you two.
Well, we do what we can. So, oh, there's no mom. On your show today, you're you're doing your show still, right? Even that though we are. Wagner, okay. So, um, what are you talking about on your show? ESPN's Trevor Maddich, college football insider, will join us once again. Interesting to uh, hear what he will have to say about the Cougars' fourth quarter domination. Why does he think? They have been so good against the competition in that final period. Cool. And we'll ask him, should Tanner Mangum play? He has mm. a hamstring. <sighs> there you go. Should he play at all? No. no. We'll ask him his opinion. We'll share our opinion later in the week. Yeah, I'll just give you mine. He should he should be on a table with somebody working his leg the entire game. Just eating Funyuns. <laughs> Riding a bike. Eating Funyuns. <laughs> if he was eating Funyuns on the sideline, that'd be the best <laughs> thing ever. How how awesome is this game against Wagner? Tanner Mangum's eating Funyuns on the sideline. <laughs> He's down two bags of Funyuns. That's the update on Tanner Mangum. <laughs> hey, maybe Funyuns will make our bingo card. Who knows? Hey, maybe they'll be a sponsor. Can't black out, though. Yeah. With Funyuns. No, they'd be like a yellow bag out. Too risky. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Well, it sounds like a great show, gentlemen. Knock them dead. We hope. Man. We will kind of cool it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of cool it. And I go have Dew. a Mountain Dew. <laughs> okay, guys, have a great show. Thanks, Matt. See you. Be good. Oh, that was the funniest comment ever. I just got, I, not only did we lose, I got knocked out by a 25 year old virgin who's never tasted Mountain Dew. Sad stuff. Hey, we've got some uh, other crazy news for you. Listen to this. Holy cow. A teenager who didn't like his parents' choice of music in his family car, they were, you know, on a family trip, uh, sparked a kidnap alert in Germany motor on the German motorway. Um, like millions of youngsters, the 15-year-old boy didn't fancy a long car ride, having to listen to his parents' choice of the 1960s hits, including The Beatles and Tom Jones. I mean, I don't know what he's got against that. So he secretly scribbled the word help and the car's uh, phone number, on a piece of paper and dropped it out of the window as a joke. But a motorist following the family's car saw the note falling on the road and stopped to recover it. He feared that the rider had been kidnapped and phoned the police. The armed cops set up a roadblock and stopped the car. Oh, boy. Stopped the family. By the way, they got out, guns drawn, and they ordered the occupants out of the vehicle and they searched the vehicle. The police spokesperson uh, said a little misunderstanding was soon cleared up and they continued on their journey where the child was then tortured by the parents with the best of the Beatles and Tom Jones album. Those kids. Oh, they're maddening. Those kids. Um, Isn't that crazy? What do you do? What do you do? A Pennsylvania woman has been jailed on charges that she broke into her neighbor's home. Now, when you break into your neighbor's home, what would you do? I mean, look in their medicine cabinet, go through their drawers. No, not this lady. She was caught doing her laundry in the bathtub of her neighbor. (laughs) 44-year-old Kelly Bancroft of Shenandoah was charged Tuesday with... (laughs) I think she just got in the... I think she just got in there. She was charged Tuesday uh, with burglary and criminal trespass. <laughs> by, by the way, it wasn't all bad. She got her laundry finished. Good stuff. Oh, that's just funny. What are you going to do? Hey, we, as you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. There's a lot of news stories out there, but we like to point out the heroes of the world. And our hero this, uh, this day is double amputee Oklahoma high school football player Joe Martell. Joe Martell 
uh, the third walks on two prosthetic legs, yet he plays football for his high school team in Beggs, Oklahoma. Martell's coach, uh, Lee Blankenship, says the freshman defensive lineman's impact on his team is profound. When one of our kids feels like they're having a bad day, they look over at Joe and they see that smile. They see his work ethic. Man, it really motivates and inspires our kids, Blankenship says. Martell beams when he talks about the sports he's played since childhood. He says he enjoys the contact on the field. He takes part fully at practice, but Martell was born with a condition called tibia hemimilia, meaning he didn't have shin bones. I was born without a tibia in my bones, Martell said. I had my legs and my feet, and they uh, wouldn't have been am- they wouldn't have amputated my legs. I would if they hadn't amputated his legs, I wouldn't be able to play football. He said. His father, Joe Martell Jr., says the young Martell once experimented by placing a drink cozy on the on the end of his legs when he seemed comfortable and sprinted across the living room. The elder Martell knew it wouldn't be long before his son would be attempting an athletic career. From then on, he said, we knew that he was going to be able to participate in sports and do other things. Martell Jr. Uh, said, in youth football, Martell earned reps at running back and even scored a touchdown as a running back. Now he's playing high school ball, inspiring those around him, and overcoming a condition that would keep many others from sports. There you go. Double amputee. Oklahoma high school football player Joe Martell. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Way to, way to just teach all of us the power of positive living and positive thinking. That's the show, my friends. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. A whole new day, new ideas, new tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, look after each other, keep leading the people you're with, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.